Tune in to the Neil Prenderville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. Wednesday morning, the 22nd of July on the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy and a very good morning to you. Tears as Ireland legend Charlton is laid to rest. Thanks for being you, Jack, is the headline in the sun today. Jackie's army lined out in one more time to pay a final tribute to the proud honorary Irishman Jack Charlton yesterday. The beloved Irish boss, an England World Cup winner, uh, was hailed by both sets of fans as he was laid to rest in his hometown of Ashington, UK, where, and I haven't uh, been watching uh, UK news extensively, but didn't see anything uh, about their former World Cup winner. They've only won one in 1966, and he was on the team, as was his brother Bobby. Uh, but uh, scant, I suppose, coverage of the Charlton funeral on UK news, but it was all over the Irish news. Such was his uh, affection and the, the love in which he was held here in this country. Thousands of supporters took to the streets here to say thanks to Big Jack. And it wasn't even a cortege in Ireland, but they came out. The Walkinstown roundabout was thronged. Some people criticising the lack of social distancing, but there you go. Thousands of supporters took to the streets to say thanks to Big Jack as the radio stations all over, around the country played put him under pressure. Uh, one point in tribute to the 85-year-old icon simply read, and it makes the front page of The Sun, as I said, thanks for being you, Jack. Massive send-off, says the Stars front page, the heart of Jackie's army. It's where there's a football match going on. A hero to all. Give it a lash, Jack, in big letters on the Walkinstown roundabout, as well as thousands lined Irish streets to thank the football icon. Uh, and The Sun as well. Uh, is the green list is making the paper there. Uh, government dithering on overseas travel descended into farce yesterday following a bizarre intervention by Leo Varadkar leading opposition to ask who is the Taoiseach? Uh, confusion reigned over whether the government would go ahead with plans to produce a green list of safe countries. It's since come out of course. Uh, it came after Tonishta Varadkar not Taoiseach Varadkar said it should only be published if the public health advice relating to uh, nations included also changed. And yesterday he criticised the, quote, mixed messages, unquote, being sent out by his own government and questioned whether a green list should be published at all if the health advice against all non-essential international trips remained in place. And a spokesman for the Fine Gael leader said, the Tonish to believe strongly it's wrong to send out mixed messages about international travel. Uh, we'll check in with his party colleague, and Minister for Foreign Affairs Simon Coveney after the news at 11 o'clock, and we can ask him directly. Uh, the green list of 15 safe nations decided, says the examiner front page, but the general advice is that the safest thing is not to travel. Uh, there's no denying people are travelling, uh, but this green list will give you kind of a, a direction where to go, if you like, and if you must travel, these are the rec recommended places. Juno McEnroe and Daniel McConnell reporting in The Examiner that the government has decided on a green list of countries deemed safe to visit, advising travellers to take normal precautions. These include Malta, Finland, Italy, Cyprus and Greece, which are among a total of 15 countries whose category of risk has been downgraded. The decision was made at Cabinet last night. However, the general advice still been given to passengers and those leaving the country is that the safest thing is not to travel and to holiday here at home this summer. The change in advice also means that people arriving here or returning from the 15 named countries will not have to quarantine for two weeks. But if you're coming in now from a country that's not on the green list, and that includes Spain, includes the UK and many, many more, the advice is you must quarantine, you must fill in the, uh, the locator form, which is now, I believe, going online. And we can ask Simon Coveney about that after 11. 
Uh, but the decision comes after the first split of the new government has emerged with Taoiseach Micheál Martin and Health Minister Stephen Donnelly accused of making a balls. That's a quotation mark, not my words, of the Green List travel issue by Fine Gael colleagues. The row exploded ahead of last night's delayed cabinet meeting at which the list uh, was discussed, but clear tensions have already emerged between the two parties. The drive-through test centre at Parky Cube closes. Uh, it's been of fantastic use and really, really well subscribed to, but the drive-through COVID-19 testing centre, which opened in Parky Cube in March, has closed its doors and relocated to a new facility. The testing centre at the Cork GEA grounds had the capacity to test up to 1,000 people daily. And when it opened, it was the largest in the country. However, the centre has now ceased operations at Parky Kiev and is operating temporarily from St. Stephen's Hospital in Glanmire. And I think the orthopaedic hospital on the north side also continues to provide the service. It uh, will relocate again to a site on the north side of Cork City in the coming weeks. So maybe they'll all amalgamate in the orthopaedic. And uh, that's the drive through centre at Parky Kiev closing. And on top of that, we have in the Echo mass vaccination clinics set up amid concerns for children. Mary Corcoran reporting that mass vaccination clinics have been set up in Cork amid concerns that thousands of children who had been due to receive immunisations missed out on the vaccines due to the COVID-19 school closures. The Cork Kerry Community Healthcare School Immunisation Programme, there's a mouthful, usually offers pupils in junior infants the MMR and the four-in-one vaccination every year, while all first-year students in second level are offered the HPV, Tdap, and men ACWY vaccines. That's complicated. However, the programme was suspended in March with around 13,000 children in Cork and Kerry not receiving vaccines. So uh, I think it's important that they, uh, this issue is addressed and that parents are aware that these vaccinations are now late. Four vaccination clinics are now being established uh, one at Nemo Hurling and Football Club, one at St. Mary's Health Campus, one at the Gilbert Centre in Mallow, and the new Bantry Primary Care Centre to try to tackle the backlog. And Dr. Angelo O'Leary is the Principal Medical Officer with the HSC, said they're very, very worried. There's a large cohort of children who are not fully protected against diseases which can be prevented by the vaccines. And of course, the administration of the vaccines uh, was not allowed because of the COVID restrictions. And now it's time to tackle the backlog. Speaking of young people, the examiner also has a headline, young people hardest hit by the lockdown. Jess Casey reporting that disadvantaged young people and those with special educational needs will be among the hardest hit by the COVID-19 pandemic, according to a report from the Department of Children and Youth Affairs and the ESRI. Inequalities are growing in the wake of the pandemic and new research suggests that school closures and a lack of interaction have directly affected the lives of children and young people. Ireland is top of the list for the EU 5 billion euro Brexit funds, says the Mirror, but we'll pay in more than we get for the COVID recovery, it said. Pat Flanagan reporting that Ireland will benefit most from a 5 billion euro EU fund set aside to help member states worst hit by the effects of Brexit. The cash is part of the 1.8 trillion euro package signed by the 27 countries to fund the next seven years of spending and inject money into struggling econom uh, economies hit by the pandemic. Uh, Johnny Depp threw Kate Moss down the stairs. Uh, there's an old picture of Johnny and Kate from their dating days on the Mail front page. But the horror of care homes is the main headline. Uh, not a single nursing home inspected by health watchdog Hikwa during the pandemic was fully compliant with regulations. A damning report has 
revealed. The time now is 15 minutes past nine. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. And we've got Owen Corrie on line one. He's a travel expert. Owen, thanks for holding, and I know you're under pressure for time. We're here to speak about the uh, the green list. Uh, some dithering has been uh, ac- accused or has been stated, uh, and some confusion between the parties, some loggerhead issues between the parties, but we have a green list. The travel list has, I think, already been merrily ignored. So this list should <laughs> this list is so small, it, it's probably going to continue to be ignored. Is that correct? It's a great morning if you've got a yacht, Mick. Um, you've got sort of Monaco and Gibraltar and Malta and places like that. Let me stop. It. Let me stop you there, Owen, as a travel expert. How do I get to Monaco without without a yacht? If there isn't any, at least Gibraltar is an airport. We don't have flights from Ireland, but you're going to end up with this situation where France is not on the list. Monaco is, and uh, it it doesn't stop there. I mean, the madness. Uh, so that's only the beginning of the madness. We have 15 countries on this green list, and it's like uh, it's very close to what Enfip said. Only countries with lower rates than Ireland. So there's a couple of big issues which have been pointed out already, and this is what's causing uh, the fractures uh, within uh, parties and, with, and even within cabinet that you refer to in your intro. Um, the list will change. Like Italy and Greece would not have been on that list for last Friday. So how does one plan a schedule? How does one plan travel? How does one plan a holiday? Four of those countries don't have flights from Ireland. The ones that do have flights, they're irrelevant. You know, if uh, there are 120 flights arriving in Ireland today, nine of them are from green list countries. People are flying away to Spain and Portugal and places like that as if this green list didn't exist because they... They've been talking about this since the end of May. European Union drew up their protocols at the end of May. They announced uh, the opening of borders on June the 15th. And anybody making a decision would probably follow the European norm because they were getting the messages from uh, they toured the countries. And Ryanair is very heavily criticised for putting all these ads up saying, oh, you can fly away. At the... But they told everyone six weeks in advance, we're going to start on July the 1st. Give us the safety protocols and we'll adhere to them. And they did, because they were given on June the 12th, the the European air safety, and the countries all gave them the green light. And like a teenager has been asked to do the wash-up, these guys finally got to do it and and started dropping all the dishes. That's what happened last night. (laughs) The Neffet list seemed to be objected to by Leo Varadkar, and there were other objections as well. Are, Are we assuming here that this green list was cobbled together quickly and, you know, kind of an organic starting point? We'll add to it later. But my my feeling is that it cabinet agreed to implement it to add to it later. My feeling is that it was the opposite of being cobbled together quickly. Uh, the government went to Enfit and said, give us the list of countries and they came back with six countries or seven countries on it, which was what would have happened on June 20th. Then on July the 6th, we were supposed to get to the cabinet balked again. It's a difficult decision for a politician when to say, let's restart, let's reconnect with the rest of the world when we had the sort of commentary and background that, uh, not, you know, all travel out of the country and all travel into the country isn't good. And travel, let's say, let's face it, it dominated 
uh, a lot of the infant press conferences and it led to that huge narrative on social media about American tourists. We have 26,000 cases of COVID. We haven't had one from an American tourist. So in that environment, a politician making a decision to let's let the drawbridge back down again and start, you know, reopening travel. It's going to be, it's going to get, face some sort of criticism. But what made it easy for them was that the, the, the reconnection was done anyway. There are now about 12,000 people a day going through Dublin Airport. It would be over 100,000 in a normal year. Most people are waiting for, for uh, two things. They're waiting for uh, words that it won't be against public policy. Most people don't want to go against public policy. And the second thing, they want to know how safe it is. You know, mm-hmm. what, uh, you know, it, and all of those fears have to be overcome. But in the meantime, we have 200,000 jobs in our inbound tourist industry at stake. And it's like, it, 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 it's like um, we're, we're erecting extra hurdles. There are enough hurdles getting travel restarted, getting tourism restarted, without putting up a few of our own, Mick. But let's look at the contradictions, OK? If I'm to come from, let's say, Gibraltar to Ireland, I can take a flight from Gibraltar, but I'll be going through a redless country, albeit through its airport. But in that that's airport, it. there could be people from very, very dodgy COVID areas. Now, that's yeah. case in point. That's allowed. But you let's either, say I'm, let's say I'm coming from Monaco. Or into London. Yeah, yeah, but let's let's say coming from Monaco, probably the easiest way to get to Ireland would be to take a train along the south coast through Cap Dal, through Bolio, and into Nice, and into Nice International Airport, and fly into Cork or Dublin. But, that's it. That's but France exactly is not on the right. green list. Yeah, that's exactly it. Nice is the way into Monaco. There's no airport there. Gibraltar has an airport. You can fly to London. You know, you're going through red list countries, Greenland. Now, can you can imagine who is in thought of putting Greenland on the list? You might as well put Antarctica. There's no cases of COVID in Antarctica. You might as well put Antarctica on the list. <laughs> this is so irrelevant to what's going on. On the ground uh, would be the normal phrase, but in the air in this case, that it, it's like it's, uh, it's going to expose the whole process to uh, ridicule. And if Italy, let's, let's say this was last Friday, Italy and Greece were not in there. I said it's about 9% of our aviation connectivity. Italy's 5.7% of that. Greece is another 1%. So you could end up with a, we would have ended up with a situation with less than uh, 3% of our connectivity. And our trading with the rest of the world, because this is key. You know, business has to be done. There are machines to be serviced um, in huge plants in Ireland that the engineers are not allowed in to service or they won't come in because of the 14-day quarantine. All of that trading with the rest of the world is not being done. Mm-hmm. And if it's, it's been done in a sort of a piecemeal Skype, Zoom basis. But it has to resume at some stage. And at some stage, somebody has got to say, we've reached a level where the threat to our society is reduced enough for us to move and start building up again. Because we're not the only country who made sacrifices, Mike. Every country in Europe is looking at reopening the borders and saying, oh, I don't want the Swedes in, look at their race. They're sort of saying, let's, let's measure it and let's see if it brings the cases up and then we close the borders. The, the Swedes are going to fly in anyway. Anyone's going to fly anywhere anyway if they can connect through any other country and, th- and that country may be green listed and they're coming from a red list country. 
it, 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 it works on a sort of a devil may care. I don't really worry about travel insurance, all of that. But when it comes to business, they can't operate like that. And at one level, we're doing exactly what we the NFET set out at the beginning not to do. They wanted people to go to particular countries or to come from particular countries, but not by it, but by not issuing any list of countries or issuing a laughable list is which what they did overnight. They've actually just left it to people to make their own decisions. And they've done something worse. They've done the key travel that we need, those business, those service, those engineers, all of those who won't travel without insurance, proper insurance and without again, within public policy. We've left them without travelling. It's like the worst case scenario in every way. The one change, the one uh, upside of it is that level two travel insurance, level two warning, which is proceed with caution, that is applies now to the 15 countries and that means you are insured. But in, in for significant uh, Mediterranean destinations, that leaves us with four. Uh, Greece, Italy, Malta and Cyprus and with significant trading destinations, that really only leaves us with uh, Norway and the three Baltic states. Very, very small for trading. And Italy, of course, uh, it's, about th- uh, it's about 3% of our international trade. So for those who will take their, you know, the regular destinations for holidays, and I mean, you know, the south of Spain, Canary Islands, Spain Portugal, Portugal yeah. uh, and coming back, having to locate and uh, or use the locator form, which I believe is going online, and now we'll have to uh, self-quarantine for two weeks. Can that be enforced? Can it be policed? Will it even be respected? I've done it, Nick. I've just, uh, I did the turnaround flight to Malta. Uh, Malta is the safest country in Europe, according to all the lists. Uh, and that's the first flight I did on July the 1st when Ryanair reopened. Uh, and I've just done my, my quarantine. Um, you, do, you fill out the locator form. There's no mention of quarantine in the airport, by the way. There's a mention of the locator form. You hand it in with your passport. And then you go home and you self-isolate. Didn't make that much difference from what I was doing already for me. Anybody but, check up uh, on your own? Nobody phoned. Nobody no. phoned. Nobody. Not even phoned. <laughs> It may be unfair to them. They would have looked at Malta and said, "Yeah, maybe be yeah. a problem." Yeah, yeah. I, you know, you, maybe you shouldn't have isolated at all now that it's on the green list. Well, you see, the thing is that is anyone looking at the form? You see, the forms were brought in when we twelve flights a day through the airport. We now have eighty to hundred, and I suspect the personnel paper forms are a nightmare anyway. So I don't think the personnel were there to actually look at these forms. They could all be sitting in a big box in a dark room. In the, the, and what, what, what complicates that theory further, and I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theory sort of person, but the airlines offered at a Department of Transport meeting to supply the information. They say, we've everything we need. We have the phone numbers, the emails. We know what role they were sitting in. We'll give you this information. And the Department of Health said they couldn't handle us. They didn't have the systems to handle us. Wow. So we ended up with this paper filling exercise, which, you know, presumably they take a sample of and telephone the number on the form and ask them when they're self-isolating. I'd venture, I'd venture on if they can't handle it electronically, they're not going to handle it with pairs of eyes. Absolutely. Can, can I ask you, on, probably, and I'm trying to be corrected here, probably the most travel that happens is between us and our nearest neighbour. Absolutely, uh, without a doubt. And, and a lot of people, and we had some of them on with holiday homes yesterday, some of them staying here self-quarantining. Some need to go home for, to visit family members. Some need yeah. to go home to check on property. Some need to go home for an essential work reasons. Where do we draw the line or where should they draw the line? They are doing it anyway. You know, like, it's like if you have rules that make sense, like a speed limit around a town or a school or whatever, everybody sort of says, okay, that makes sense. Let's, let's adhere to it. 
it, you know, around the world, there are strange rules that people bring in, which are notional, uh, that most people disregard because uh, they're unenforceable and they don't make sense. And that is really what's happening here. The, 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 the nation has abandoned the notion of a green list. And most people are not doing trivial travel and they're not going to areas with high infection. So what we have is a set of rules which bears no resemblance to what's happening on the ground or mm-hmm. as I say in the air. Yeah, some, some more common sense needs to, needs to prevail. I know you're under pressure for time on one last question. Yes. Uh, the COVID-19 safeguards released yesterday by the Department of Transport were issued by the EA, EASA four weeks ago. Why did it That's take right. the Department of Transport a month to cut and paste them? They just cut and pasted them and put them in and put the links for the Irish in. It was probably waiting to be signed off. Stacks of, of documents on ministers' des- desks at a time of change of government could be the cause of this. But it was there when the previous government was there, so the previous minister could have signed it off very wow. easily. And it caused huge problems because I have people trying to be very close to dealing with airlines all the time. And the Ryanair and Aer Lingus people telling me, uh, we have to go by the European guidelines. Every other country has a national guideline. I've just been talking to uh, Air France CEO Ben Smith just before he came on air. And every other country has a national guideline which was implemented from, the, you know, taking most of the European one. We did nothing. There was mm. a vacuum. And the Irish airlines, which is a considerable industry, were left trying to guess what is the Irish? What are the Irish going to do? Yeah, they just cut and paste. Maybe, maybe it was the handover of departments as the government changed over or something. But the mind boggles. Owen Corrie, travel expert. Thank, thank you very, very much for coming on. Thank Thanks. You. Cheers. Bye bye. We'll take one quick call before we go to a break, and that's Dan in Brittany. Uh, good morning to you, Dan. Hello, Dan. Hello there. How are you doing, sir? I'm very good. Thanks, and you? I'm good. Now you're in Brittany and in France on holidays. Lovely part of the world. They love the Irish there, don't don't they? They do indeed. They're like ourselves, really. Very friendly people. Mm -hmm. You're you're going there a lot. You go on? Do you go on the Pontevin or do you fly over there or what? No, we go on we go on the ferry from Cork. Uh, We used to sail from from Rosslare previously until Irish ferries uh, stopped sailing. To uh, we come into Roscoff because it's easier for us Mm -hmm. to where we're going. And so now we sail from Cork. Um, It's a little bit more expensive than it would have been from from um, Rosslare uh, initially but um, I think I suppose because the trip back home afterwards it's a shorter distance so one compensates for the other you know Sure So you're hoping you don't have to quarantine when you get home even though France is now not on the green list Well that's correct I mean I, I, I've been listening to the news um, online over here I've been listening to Redfin quite a bit online as well um, and just listening to um, our Taoiseach who came back from Brussels Surely Brussels is not on the list, nope. so that that man should self-isolate for fourteen days. Yes, that, I, I think very good question, a very good point. That begs the question, I suppose, um, if yes, essential travel I, 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 is undertaken, uh, even though it's well, you know at a, at a high level of trying to negotiate a one point eight two trillion euro course. deal, yes. should you still self-isolate, or should be should you be considered yes. exempt? But are they saying that anybody that travels on essential travel cannot contact the coronavirus? There you go. Well, maybe he had a cheese sandwich in his hand. <laughs> not, not too sure, but I think basically what they're saying, it's, it's one law for themselves and a different law for everybody else. Um, I, I actually, I have no problem with self-isolating when I come back. I, I'm self-employed and I'm unfortunately out of work at the, for the time being. Um, but ha- having said that, I mean, you know, if that country is not on the list, then, then our Taoiseach should self-isolate. That's what they're saying. Well, let me let me put it to the Minister for Foreign Affairs after eleven o'clock news. But it's a fair it point, Dan. Great. If you if you have to quarantine when you come back, will you undertake to do it 
efficiently I mean, and, I mean, and honestly? I, I will. I will. I definitely will. And I, as I said to your researcher online there, um, where we are here in France, people wear masks all the time, way more so than at home. Uh, since Monday, actually, of this week, it is now compulsory to wear a mask going into any building and also any outdoor market where a crowd may be congregated, you must wear a mask. The only difference would be that their distancing is one metre rather than two. Yeah, well, that you know, the one metre distancing, I, I think it's probably going to have to happen here before the general pubs reopen because a lot of them I are untenable so. at two metres. And, and, I, and I, I think people would adhere to a lot more mask policy. Uh, if it was one right. metre, they could operate more like a normal society. Exactly. You know, we're here just over a week and the first couple of days it felt a little bit strange putting on a mask all the time. But now we're so used to it, you just carry a mask around with you and you put it on when the need arises and, and you, everybody else is doing the same. So it doesn't really make any difference. Mm-hmm. So it, th- becomes, it becomes the norm, basically. So holiday-wise, I suppose numbers are down a bit compared to other years that we've been coming here. Um, I'd imagine that we're on a campsite, we have a caravan here. I'd imagine probably of 50% capacity um, and the same on other businesses and things around the place. Having said that, uh, there are quite a few tourists in the area, Dutch, Swiss, Belgian, um, travelling around and then they all seem to be adhering to wearing the masks and there doesn't seem to be any problem whatsoever. Final question for you, Dan. Do you think we're moving to a society where a lot more relaxation will happen as regards people's freedoms and availability to travel. But personal responsibility and adherence to proper hygiene and minding yourself will be what beats the virus. I, I would think that would be the correct thing to do. Um, I can't even see how, if, if they keep two metre distancing up, how are they going to open schools come September? Mm-hmm. It would be absolutely impossible. Yeah. A lot, a lot of I, I'm from the country in West Cork. A lot of country schools would be quite small schools with maybe large classrooms, large number of kids in the classrooms. They can't work and operate those schools if they have to keep a two metre distance. It would be absolutely out of the question. Yeah, uh, Evan says I don't see Belgium on the list yet. Tisha can travel back from there and speak in the door yesterday and not have to quarantine yes. for two weeks. Essential travel or not? I thought you still would have to quarantine. So apparently, government ministers are exempt from self-isolating. So clearly COVID is clever enough to determine who's a minister <laughs> and who's not, as well as who has a cheese sandwich. Uh, I think the cheese sandwich... Is, that's, I know it's a Michael Healy Ray thing, but I think it's going, to be, it's going to be the metaphor for safety from now on. Maybe he had a cheese sandwich. I could be right. Dan, what part, of Brittany are, what part of Brittany are you in? I'm in a place called Kibron, which is like a peninsula. Yes. Um, it's, it's about a, an hour's drive from um, Lorient Airport. We came by ferry, obviously. Uh, it's about two, two and a half hours from Rothcott Ferry. A oh, beautiful part drive, of the world. Drive. Do you go over that Absolutely big bridge to get there? That seventh wonder or eighth uh, wonder no, of the world? No, we, we, we don't have to. I, I've travelled that bridge, but no, we, we don't have to, to go over the big bridge to get there. No, it's, um, it's, we, we, it's a lovely drive down, actually, to where we're staying. You do it comfortably in two and a half hours, taking in the scenery and enjoying the sunshine. I've done it down as far as La Rochelle. It's an amazing road. Uh, even, e- even the B roads in France are, are as good as the A roads here, I think. Oh, God, yes, definitely. I mean, um, I, I carry a little motorcycle with me. I, I take a van over and bring a little motorcycle and we tour around a lot of days. Um, uh, you're an expert now. You're an expert fabulous. in travel. <laughs> Thanks a million, Dan. Stay safe. You're welcome. No Stay bother. Safe. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. We have lots of texts and comments on COVID-19 and the government, actually. You can text us on 86 So just before I take a break, 
Uh, the government have made this lockdown accelerate. The economy has been put ahead of the virus. The fear promoted from COVID has caused a rise in cancer deaths too. The flu will be here soon and the high amount of deaths from that will be added to the COVID deaths and it will probably make it a greater figure of deaths than the Spanish flu. Prohibition. Here we come. Good morning. This government is a disgrace. There was no announcement on the green light countries for travel. Well, there is now. We are in the last week of July. Flights, uh, last week of July, flights are still operating to many sun destinations, yet they are advising people not to travel outside Ireland. Do the government give a damn that people are losing money because they're not going on the summer holidays they've booked? The government are still none the wiser about travel and it's a shambles. There's no green light for anywhere. Yet, every Tom, Dick and Harry from other countries are just cruising into our country. Ireland is going to crumble. Uh, of course, the green list is out now. Hi Mick, the reason why the lads in Dublin, the government, are not telling the rest of the people in Ireland what's really going on with COVID-19 is because they don't know themselves. The fact of the matter is Ireland is flat broke. Everything is broken and this virus is not going away for a long time. We have to live with it and get on with it. Wash your hands, wear your masks and look after yourself, says Wayne. And one more from Richie. Hi Mick, say what you like about our politicians. They sure know how to manipulate and control the puppet-like public. Instead of uniting as Irish men and women and demanding a public inquiry into our government's handling of this crisis and their sacrifice of our grandparents, we are turning on one another and bickering about the legally mandated wearing of ineffective face coverings. Wake up people before it's too late, says Richie. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. And with the passing of the legend that was Jack Charlton and he being laid to rest yesterday, uh, a very innovative feature yesterday. I just happened to be in uh, Rathpeacon Fireplaces in Hollymount Industrial Estate and I noticed that all the fires were green. And I don't know how they did it, um, but uh, I asked how they did it and I said it's a secret, but uh, all of the fires were running green. It was kind of surreal to look at it, because you expect a fire, of course, to be orange and red and flaming and that. So well done for that little tribute to Jack Charlton to all in uh, that particular business, which is in Rath Peak and Fireplaces uh, in the Hollymount Industrial Estate. Well done to you guys. Young Offenders, by text, I've just finished watching the whole of season three of The Young Offenders. I have to say it's brilliant. It's available for download on the BBC Player they have all the episodes up on it. <clears throat> Cork City looks great, and I think it's only coming to RG now, isn't it? So maybe that's a sort of a hack uh, that you could use. Peter Foote, the director, and his wife, Hilary Rose, are neighbours of ours, uh, and lovely, lovely people too, and continued success to them and for the employment uh, they are bringing to uh, Cork actors and actors from uh, afar. And, of course, for the spotlight, uh, mostly positive, that they put on Cork. Some would disagree, of course, uh, that uh, it's, uh, you know, putting Cork in a bad light, but I don't think so. I think uh, it does wonders for Cork tourism. Line one and Natalie. Good morning, Natalie. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Now, a friend of yours returned from Poland at the weekend. So tell me what happened at arrivals. So she arrived in Cork Airport. She she lived here previously, but she moved home to Poland before all this had happened. So she came home for on a holiday with her two little boys. When she arrived, there she was asked, does she live in Ireland? And she replied, no. They asked her, does she work here? And she said, no. And she asked them, does she have to isolate or quarantine? And they replied, the response that she got from them was, no, just try to stay out of big crowds. Okay, she now- didn't have to sign any form, nothing. Just stay out of big crowds. No isolation, no nothing. So she how- was allowed to carry on as normal. Who, who actually said this to her? At what point in the arrivals hall? Is it, is it pre-customs? Is it after customs? Is it leaving the, the concourse? When? Oh, to be honest, no, I, I couldn't tell you yeah. what part of it it was at. Now, I, I'd be lying if I was down to that. I don't know what part it was at. But it was whoever stopped, we say, asked the questions. It okay. was there. She was told she didn't have to isolate. She didn't have to quarantine. And that was coming from Poland. Okay. 
Uh, I'm not sure the incidence of uh, of COVID nineteen in Poland, but I, I imagine it's not low. Mm-hmm. I have a friend in exactly. Poland who was isolating. Who was isolating? I have a friend in Gdansk who who was isolating himself for three months. Uh, exactly. You know, scarcely a visit to the shops because he would have have an underlying condition. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, okay. So Poland at the weekend asked at arrivals, does she live and work in Ireland? She said no. Uh, and asked herself, does she have to quarantine? And instead of being told it would be safer to do so, she was mm-hmm. told, no, just try to stay out of the big crowds. So this green list looks to be what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just ad hoc fine. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, okay. Exactly. Thanks a million. Not a bother. Thank Appreciate you. it, Natalie. Thank you very much. Uh, well, let, let's give you the green list in full, shall we? So you can travel quite safely and return without quarantining to Malta, which, according to Owen, is one of the safest places to go. You can go to Finland, you can go to Norway, you can go to Italy. Now, I don't know why Italy's on the green list considering the huge proportion of COVID-19 it had. Uh, I know it's dealt with it now. You can go to Hungary, and one of the nicest places to visit as well. You can go to Estonia, you can go to Latvia. Uh, on the green list also is Lithuania. You can go to Cyprus, another popular destination. Slovakia, you can go to Greece. You can go to Greenland, uh, where there's absolutely very, very low incidence, if any, of COVID-19. You can go to Gibraltar, but you're going to have to fly through London, I suppose. You can go to Monaco, but I don't know how you're going to get there unless you take, as Owen said, a yacht, because the only way you can get to Gibraltar otherwise is through France. Uh, And the nearest airport there is Nice. And you can go to San Marino. But I don't know anybody who's ever gone to San Marino for holidays except, once again, to follow Big Jack or uh, one of the Irish teams that that followed him uh, when they played that little country. But there you go. Now, let's go all the way to Lanzarote, which isn't on the green list, and to our old friend Julian Fair in Finnegan's Wake. Morning, Julian. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm very good. How are yourself and Tracy getting on? Very well, Mick. We're, we're loving it. It's a cool morning here at the moment. Um, so it, it is lovely to have a bit of cloud here for a change. Ah, that's good. About 41 degrees. Completely the opposite weekend. of here, of course. We're, we, we loved yesterday because it was blue skies and... <laughs> giving out about the cloud today. Now, yeah, we, to be fair, Tenerife and Lanzarote yeah. uh, would be the two, I suppose, most popular with Irish and especially Cork people uh, to get out to. I have friends who flew to Tenerife last week. I have friends who flew to uh, Lanzarote uh, over the weekend. So now it looks as though not being on the green list, and I would imagine the incidence of COVID-19 is very low now in the Canaries, they are going to be asked to self-isolate on their return. Well, I suppose, firstly, um, we're disappointed with the list, but not surprised um, at at the outcome either. Um, It's a shame they haven't separated us from mainland Spain and the islands, but, um, as I said, not surprised at that. So it's a political Um, rather than a geographic consideration? Um, I think it is. Um, The government doesn't seem to know what it's doing. It's kind of a bit of an embarrassment, um, coming over here because there is more stuff open here than there is closed at the moment. There's a lot of the hotels now still closed. They're, they're waiting on the Ockensley to come up. Mm-hmm. 90% of the Irish bars here are all closed because we don't have the visitors. We have a huge amount of UK German visitors here at the moment. There is still Irish visitors here. I have friends here from Cork myself at the moment who came um, over last week or two weeks ago. Um, they're loving it here. But as I said, we were very reliant on, on, on this list as well, um, which doesn't favour us here at the moment. So I'm due to open uh, the start of August. I don't know. I might have to put that back another week or two. Not sure at the moment, really, to be honest with you. Um, okay, okay, no no point you coming home if you, have to, if you have to quarantine for two weeks. Uh, and yet Americans can still travel in. Are you saying, now, I know that the uh, Canaries sees very few Americans. 
but uh, tourism from other countries, what are you at, 40, 50% we, less? Oh, absolutely. It's even more. I mean, I'd say we're at 70% less. At, you know, we're at about 30% occupancy at the okay. moment if we're even at that. Um, like the up-to-date cases this morning, we have spiked slightly, but people, when you look at Tenerife, uh, Lanzarote, the Canaries, our cases are a bit higher, gone up recently because the weather here. We have a lot of immigrant boats hitting us. So at the moment, we have 11 cases in Lanzarote. Nine of them are immigrants. One is a resident that came back from Mexico, and one is a UK lady tourist. Now, there they're all quarantined straight away. Obviously, the immigrants would be taken and, and um, quarantined in a way and kept separate. The Mexican, the, the person who came from Mexico is a resident and would be quarantined here. They're very strict about quarantine here. They follow up regularly mm. with retests and what have you and check that they're in their residence. Can, I, vent, can I venture as well, again. Julian, uh, because I've seen lots of pictures, mo- more so of Tenerife, but a lot of Lanzarote as well during the restrictions. Yeah. And you're looking at 100% deserted beaches, 100% closed facilities. And if you had to go out, you had to have a reason. You must go to your nearest supermarket. You had to wear a mask. The islands have, to their credit, dealt with the danger of COVID very, very effectively. Do you, do you feel hard done by now not, not to be green-listed? Uh, absolutely, Neil, because we did, our, our make, we, like I spoke to Neil the last time, but our quarantine was very tough here. It was isolated. We, we, we really did adhere by the rules. I mean, it was, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't leave the house at all. So strict. And then for this to happen, it is a kick, uh, you know, it, it is a kick in the teeth really for us that we have displayed such good um, standards through this and, and we still continue to do it we pie testing at the airport very strict rules here and like the Canarian government um, president came out with a statement and said we are going to get cases it's how we manage them it's up to us as islanders here to manage our islands and keep our islands open we can't afford another lockdown so we are strict in, in our one and a half metre leave rules we're strict with the masks people aren't as shy here to tell you to put on a mask when you need to put on a mask going into a shop and as I said, you know, we rely on tourism, so we have to be very strict with the rules here. And and then for the government, Irish government, not to to put us on the green list was was um, yeah, it was very disheartening to see this morning. You know, especially with the work we have put in. I know, and, and um, for, for for locals who may have been tired of tourism, who see see you know see their facilities been overrun by white-skinned people looking to get brown. And you know, having having all of their natural amenities visited and over-visited and overused, uh, is there a certain reticence now? Uh, you know that that they might have felt that way. Are, are they saying, you know, something? Maybe the tourism isn't so bad after all. It's better than having nothing. No, because we're never. It's, tourism is the only industry this island has to survive. There is like there. I think there is something else in Tenerife that keeps the chicken over. We have. We're a hundred percent tourism here. Mm. So there's never ever a feeling of of the, of 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 that here because we need the tourists to survive. In other words, this island closes down. It's as simple. It's a simple fact. No tourist island closes down here. What about state support? How, how are you guys surviving with your bar closed? We we still have some government help here. Um, unfortunately, it hasn't been anywhere like the Ireland government help. But um, we, we're still getting some help here. We're getting seventy percent of our of our contract dollars. Um, but, you know, missing out on 30% of that, plus, you know, tips are a huge thing here for a lot of the staff, you know, to maintain. Um, most rent hasn't been paid by workers here. 
Okay. So it's how it's going to manage in the next few months when they're due to pay this back is going to be another thing. Yeah, well, I, I um, think I think the the way the Canarian government handled everything, the absolute enforcement of strict lockdown procedures, will will bring the tourists back to the Canaries quicker than to other areas, uh, let's say. But here's one text. I've got to go, Julian, but here's one text you might you yeah. might find amusing or concerning. My two daughters arrived from yeah. London yesterday in the morning. They, this is from the UK now, which is not on the green list, okay? They had their forms filled yeah. up, and they were supposed to hand them in at passport control for quarantine, but there was no one there. So they just walked through, says Nobody there. You might ask, Simon, if you're on later, is, uh, is there any chance of them separating us from Spain? I don't think that would be in his remit now, but I'm sure he could make an approach to the, uh, yeah. the Prime Minister of Spain. But, yeah, but just his, his thoughts on it and, yeah. and why it hasn't been done, you know, it might be interesting to see. You know? I'll put it on the list. Julian, as always, great to talk Thank to you. Great, right, thanks. thanks All the best. Bye bye. 11 minutes bye-bye. to 10 now. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at NeilRedFM. Very good morning. Seven and a half minutes to 10. A couple of more texts on the travel and coronavirus cases. Hi, guys. The next few weeks will tell a lot and how much we are importing the virus as people are now starting to return from Spain for the summer holidays. How many will self-isolate when coming home? Employers must make them stay at home and not allow them to return to work. And one more, Ryanair are waiving people's flights that were booked in July and giving them new bookings, yet people who booked well before the COVID pandemic either lose their flight money or have to pay extra to transfer their flights. How does that make sense? Fair point there. And if you're a fan of the TV series uh, Deadliest Catch, uh, then some shocking news. There's been a major earthquake off Alaska. It's triggered a tsunami warning and evacuations. A 7.4 magnitude earthquake struck off Alaska at about uh, 7.12 British Standard Time, according to the U.S. Geological Survey. Police in Kodiak, Alaska, where a lot of those uh, Deadliest uh, Deadliest Catch boats are registered, have urged residents to rush to higher ground ahead of a tsunami's possible arrival. So it's not just in the tropical areas these things happen, and in the southern hemisphere or the near northern hemisphere, of course, in the case of the Taiwan. Uh, this is way up north in the Arctic Circle, Kodiak, Alaska. Now to John, who is on line one. Morning, John. Good morning, how are you? I'm good, John. Not a fan of the young offenders, no? I can't believe, I mean, that the people of Croft and the people of Ireland are going to have to endure another series of this humongous sort of rubbish. Um, I saw the first series of it there, well, part of it, well, and some of the second, right? And um, I believe it's seriously embarrassing uh, the way it portrays this city, and especially the way it portrays like, the youth of this city. Uh, a lot of the young people I know, in my, in, in my neck of the woods here on the south side, right, don't go on like that. I know it's supposed to be put together as a comedy, like, but I mean, to me, like RT, and I know it can be private productions as well, uh, they shouldn't even attempt to go try and make a comedy because can you off the top of your head name one decent comedy that you could actually call a comedy that RT was ever associated with? But this to me... Uh, Mrs. Came, Brown's Boys? Well, that was made across the water. It's been shown here now. But the thing is that um, I think it portrays the youth of Cork... Valley Cassangel? Well, again, uh, Paddy Wackery, let's be honest. But the thing is, what what it does, I think, this this one of young offenders, make it paints the, the young people of Cork, as I said, as a bunch of effing idiots, which they're not. But it's it's comedic it. fiction, John, and you know it's it's not meant to be portrayed as as portraying everybody in Cork in that light. Yeah, but but, see, but it, it does highlight places like the market and the Shaky Bridge and other things like that. Uh, yeah, be- beautiful trip down it, West Cork in the movie, all the way down to Sheep's Head. It, it, it also portrays, like, I mean, youth, it, 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 it kind of revolves around the youth as the two guys, right, and the girls are involved as well. 
And basically, I think it's doing the, the youth of Cock no favours. Like, to me, it's just a pure lot of rubbish. It should never be made in the first place. Yeah, I suppose um, all comedy is subjective. Uh, I, could, I could tell you a joke that might offend you, and somebody else might laugh and not be offended at all. Well, you, have to, you have to be very careful what kind of jokes you tell us. You know, the days have gone in the 70s, and we could tell a joke about anything, even Paddy the Irishman, Paddy the Englishman, the Scotsman. No, they're gone now as well. They're all gone as well. Uh, I, I heard somebody uh, saying that your daughter is very pretty, and, 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 the, and the parent of the daughter said, you can't say that. That's sexually subjective. What are we coming to? Well, that's ridiculous, no. That is absolutely ridiculous because what will happen if that, if that, that kind of type of, uh, of cardiology, as I call it, and it goes on, the art of conversation, like in the art of complimenting people, especially kids or whatever, or, or even complimenting a woman, or a, a woman complimenting a man, like the, the art of flirtation, the art of conversation will actually die and we'll be like a bunch of mummies and everyone will, will be communicating through mobile devices, but nobody will be speaking anymore. Mm-hmm. And I certainly don't want to see a word like that. Okay. You, you, you might think the word farce, right? You, you, think, you, you think that farce, you, you think that the young offenders is farcical. I, I see it as a, as a farce comedy, if you understand, uh, in that it's, yeah, it's not meant to subject reality, it's, but it is in, in real places. But I, t- I take your point, and, and a lot would agree that uh, some of the language and some of the actions uh, don't reflect well on Cork, but I think uh, in general... Uh, it does portray our city and it puts places on the screen and on the big screen well, that I'll haven't be, been I'll seen be before. I'd be more worried about, uh, about the, the portrayal of the youth of Cork. Like, you mean, okay. The youth of Cork. I mean, 99% of the youth of Cork are not scumbags. I know. John, John, point taken and I have to go Thank for you. news. So thanks very much. Thanks a lot. Three minutes to ten news with Lana O'Connor is on the way. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. And you can call the programme on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six with whatever's on your mind. You can text us on 0868104106 or you can email neil at redfm.ie. Darren McGann, good morning. Mick, a very good morning to you. And a very good morning to you, sir. How is Cove doing these days? We're going to be having a look at Cove actually during the week uh, with, uh, with Joanna Murphy. So can't wait for that one. That's going to be a, a pretty good... But uh, salutes to all and shout-outs to all in Cove. There seems to have been a huge concerted effort uh, you know, when I say clean up, I don't mean it was dirty, but the whole place is looking resplendent. Yeah, Cove is looking fantastic, and we have so many great volunteers on the ground, as you know yourself, from the tidy towns, the tourism. Everybody, in fact, the entire community have come together to make the town look well. I know it's a bit dug up at the moment with essential drainage works that are going on, but Cove really, you know, it's it's looking resplendent. Yes, we're struggling this year. We don't have the volume of tourists. We don't have the cruise ships coming in. But, you know, we're made, we're made of stern stuff and we'll survive. Anyway, it's great to see. There seems at least, and I'll speak to Joanna on this, to, see, to be a concerted effort to put Cove more firmly on the map. Anyway, uh, Simon Coveney stated the Green List is an advisory. Uh, and you say this is the crux of the issue, advisory. Well, it is, Mick, because it, it creates confusion. And I've been listening closely to what Simon Coveney has been saying yesterday, more, more, more so today. And he's saying that the, the overall government guidance or advice is no non-essential travel. Yet, he is also saying we're giving this green list so that if people actually do want to travel, they can travel and come back and not quarantine. So what is it? I mean, to be fair, Mick, the people of Ireland, the people of Cork, have been fantastic since this pandemic hit. You know, they've done everything they've had to do. I've seen it in Cove, Mick, volunteers getting together, looking after each other. And that's fantastic. All we want now is proper, proper guidance. 
do we travel? Don't we travel? It's just confusion. Well, I suppose what they're saying is don't travel unless you have to. If you have to, these are the places that you won't have to quarantine from if you come back. And only go to the other places if it's essential travel. But like, well, there, are, there are a couple of lemons in there now in Gibraltar, San Marino and, uh, and Monaco. Well, I'm sure we'd all love to go to Monaco, but that's not exactly what Simon Coveney has been saying, and you'll be talking to him after 11 and know that. The thing is, what he's saying is, our, our advice is not to travel, but on the other hand, you can travel. So what is it? Should we not? Can we? Um, I mean, people are being advised to staycation, stay at home. We're willing to do that. But at least give us, you know, just tell us. You're not to travel. Only non-essential, nothing else. He can't say you're not to travel. It can only be an advisory because then he's putting uh, he's putting a very bad light on the airports and on the airlines and on all those jobs. So like, it really is coming down to collective responsibility. They can't stop you from traveling. Uh, you know, we haven't come become a lockdown police state yet. But I, I think what they're trying to do, and I'm just being the devil's advocate here, is, you know, it's an advisory list. These are the safest places. But we'd prefer you didn't travel. Well, absolutely. But in saying that, Italy is on that list. And with all due respects to my Italian friends, that is the last place I'd be advising anybody to travel to. Their their numbers are starting to spike again. And I think, you know, we, we, we have to take personal responsibility here. But I, look, let's be realistic. If you travel to summer, and Simon Coveney will say this as well, if you travel to a, a greenless country and there's a spike in cases, well... Now, that's when you're in trouble. That's when you'll have to self-isolate. So I just think the message should be clear. Lads, stay at home. For goodness sake, we'll take the hit. Go and see the beautiful country. See beautiful Cork. Come to Cove. Come to Kinsale. Go wherever you want to go. Stay at home. And next year, hopefully, there'll be a bit of hope and we can travel freely. Okay. Any travel plans this year, Dara? Um, Actually, I'm taking my mum, who will turn 86 the end of August. Uh, I'm taking her down to Kerry for a few days. Uh, it, at the end of August. So we're staycationing. Oh, that's excellent. And and in Cove in general, without the liners, of course, which is the mainstay, uh, I know we get lots of, uh, of of domestic and land travel and people coming in off ferries, etc., and lots and lots of camper vans and motorhomes and all that. Without, without the liners, how's Cove doing? Cove is doing okay. Uh, Spike Island, of course, is a, a fantastic hit. And there are people, you know, from Ireland coming down every day and taking the ferry out. And you mentioned Joanna Murphy. I, I'd encourage people to check out the video that she's produced because she is highlighting everything that's good about Cove. And I think there's a, a lesson there for every town, every village in Cork. You know, get on social media. We have to reinvent ourselves. It's like in music. I'm working with a producer in Navin at the moment. We've had to reinvent ourselves as well. We've got to go online. Uh, no. We can get through this. We will get through this. And Cove will get through this. Dara, it's very easy, and we have done so over the last couple of days, to concentrate and, you know, and to feel a bit of pity and empathy for the pubs that couldn't open uh, on uh, Monday. But, of course, we, we always tend to forget there's a huge swathe of musicians and people who work in entertainment, not just hospitality, but the entertainment that goes along with the hospitality that just have had, they've had no venues to play. Uh, and if they had, <laughs> those are serving food uh, at a socially responsible distance. Uh, even the drive-in uh, things with Gavin James have all been cancelled because of the COVID restrictions. So really a shout out to all the musicians who must be taking, as well as the uh, the pubs that are still not open, the brunt of this. 
Well, this is it. And of course, a lot of people would presume that because you're out gigging five, six nights a week, you must be minted. That's not exactly the case. Uh, and it, you're right in what you're saying. Musicians, they've taken a massive hit. And I was speaking to a, a number of colleagues recently. They can't even avail of the COVID payment now. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the most they might get is is the dole if they're lucky. Uh, but yeah, they've taken a huge hit. But you know, as I've said, we're made of stern stuff. Give us a bit of hope. We will get through this. And I'd say that to everybody out there, including the frontline staff who I know are going through their own troubles. We're going to get through this because we're we're the Irish. And as Jack Charlton said, we're part of the army. Yeah, and two things it would be remiss of me not to mention. Uh, there's some great work going on by, by the, the musicians, as little as they have at the moment. Uh, people with big hearts like Paul Hannan and uh, Jamie Stanton are going on Facebook Sunday night after Sunday night and raising money for worthy causes, and that has to be commended. Uh, the other thing is, of course, let's not forget the access from the water and all of the areas. Of course, we've lost Rosie's in Ahada, but Murph's in East Ferry uh, continues to be open and serve the best of food, as does, as we go around the harbour, the ore is open in Crossavena, JP English and the gang. They're open at weekends doing food and beginning to come back to life as a great venue to have a drink and a bite to eat. And going over to Cove, of course, the Keys is open and has land access uh, on its pontoon. Noel Owens and uh, the gang there doing very, very well. And, of course, in uh, we mentioned in Monkstown yesterday, the Boson is open and there's a pier at that place. So if you're on a boat and going around the harbour, uh, there are all these places uh, like the Boson and the Keys and Murphs and the Ore that you can get to as well. So uh, in the midst of all of this uh, traumatic upheaval, uh, there are the green shoots that are popping up now. Look, there's a lot to be positive about, Mick. And, you know, it's it's very easy during pandemic to focus on the negative. But as I said earlier, we've had volunteers in Cove, and I know in other communities as well, have come together to help the elderly, to help the, the, the vulnerable. Those people are still there. We're all still there. And we will get through this. It will be tough. It will be challenging. But you know what? We have each other. And once we have the bit of music and the bit of crack, we'll get through it together. Thanks, Dara. And continued, uh, continued success with the musical career. I know you're probably in recording mode now rather than performing mode, but the very best of luck to it. Thanks very much, Mike. Cheers, all the best, bye-bye. Now, of course, uh, my conversation with John O'Donovan has generated many texts, and here they are. I mentioned how good I felt the Young Offenders was in general for the city. John took exception, uh, and here are some of the texts. I think poor John needs to differentiate between fact and fiction. The Young Offenders is not a documentary. It's a comedy. Uh, here's another one. God, uh, God help what tourists think when they see Fair City or even Red Rock. Of course, John asked me to concentrate on comedies and I said, uh, Mrs. Brown's Boys and Ballycus Angel, but Fair City or even Red Rock certainly don't paint Dublin in a good light. Uh, then again, I suppose neither does uh, CSI Miami do it for Miami or CSI Vegas do it for Las Vegas. Ah, here, The Young Offenders, are the, it's the best show going and gives us a great name. Wouldn't like, uh, wouldn't like to know what Connor or Jock would have to say to you. Uh, the film was funny enough, says a texter. I feel a little uneasy at what often appears to be middle-class writers and actors taking the proverbial out of working-class characters for the giggles, though the portrayal seems to be a caricature. So it's a mixed bag of texts, and there's one more. I heard so much about it, but find it poor, very poor acting, and if you were making a show set here in Cork, why not have local talent playing the roles? They do, uh, who have a better sense of the area. To be honest... Uh, I think it's decidedly moderate, not very funny at all. So moderately funny uh, to not entertaining to the best thing that ever happened. And that is, of course, the lot of the young offenders. It can never and will never appeal 
to everybody. But it's a Cork success story and well done to uh, Peter Foote and Hilary Rose and uh, to all of the other actors uh, who Shane Casey and uh, the other actors who make it uh, the kind of tour de force that it is. Now, it is, um, it is a very special week, a very poignant week, really, uh, in farming lives. And there is a very special commemoration uh, of Farm Safety Week. And in, I suppose, in tune with that, I am speaking to uh, a lady who had uh, a loss of life, lost her husband last year, uh, not, too, not too much over a year ago. Went out to just say goodbye. Uh, for the day, expected to come back home that evening. Uh, and of course, no matter how much safety was adhered to, what happened here seemed to have been a freak accident. On Farm Week, I'm going to speak to Anne. Good morning yeah. from the Neil Prendeville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. And good morning to Anne. How are you, Anne? Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. You lost your husband, Anne. I did. I did. Last year, on the 15th of May, I did um, on a farm accident in Glenville in County Cork. I did. Can you tell um, me what happened? It was very tragic. Uh, he was walking on a farm with someone with him. And um, my son was supposed to take the farm. Philip uh, was supposed to take the farm. He was stopping and changing, but my husband said, my son, Philip said, my son, my son's also Philip. He said, don't take this one or the next one. And I said, yeah, she does. You take that one. And it was up to you. And he goes, look, I'll take that one. You take that one. So he did. He bought it. And um, yeah, so my husband's begging, they were sitting, being sorry. And um, what happened was, uh, on an acre of land, a uh, tractor. Uh, sorry, tracked into over a pothole and um, the right side of the slurry tank went down, you know, a wheel on the front of the slurry tank went down and it dragged tractor to the left, you know, so it did track his legs, so it broke his neck. Wow, so it pulled yeah. the tractor over as it as it fell? Sorry? It pulled the tractor over? It did, it did, because the slurry tank is very heavy and the tractor was lightness, you know, so it did, yeah. Mm. So my my son then was on the next wheel, walking next to him, and uh, his girlfriend rang him. And how long they would, would be, what time did back from work, and, you know, and he was speaking for the phone, but he wasn't, he wasn't looking on the right-hand side, and family was on the phone, and we very turned on the right-hand side, he seemed bad, and... Uh, fire brigade coming down and down the hill in Glenville in the farm come to Cork and he got over the tractor and he said to Danielle, he goes, my dad, and he said, he said, Jesus Christ, he said, look, he said, I left go. So he did and he ran and the guys and made to wait for um, the HSC come as well, you know, uh, health and safety. Mm-hmm. So the guards and the ambulance were there and my son was running in, you know, by the gate leading in. He said to the guards, my dad in there, shouting and screaming. And the guards said, we can't leave in, otherwise we'd have to arrest you. Why? You know? Uh, why? Uh, for the health and safety, Mr. C. For the health and safety to come in. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's good to come down and see, you know, this, it seals off. Yeah, this this so, was this was nine uh, or ten months before COVID. You, you you would imagine yeah. that he would be allowed 
if you know yeah, pr- yeah. proving that he was mm. his father's son i can't yeah. imagine the the shock and terror oh my and, god and the feeling he must have yeah, all gone so through they did eventually leave him in then you know but he couldn't touch his dad and he just just in shock you know which we all are yeah and so i just want to out there really that uh you know, even on the by roads, they were tractors as well, Nick, you know, and um, the by road now is kind of side road off a farm, kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though they have, you know, uh, these cones going down, and farms come out, like, and they won't be only just one tractor, there's always about two or three, you know. Like, if it's silage, you know, or the hay, wherever they're bringing in, especially May, June, and July of these months, because, like, Often you see cars trying to overtake tractors and, you know, and they're a big machine, you know, and even on the farm then as well. Uh, like there's been so many, so many accidents. Like they have been with fences, they have been, like my husband now, one stage, he, there was deal to hay up, you know, in the farm shed and it's kind of a bucket that would go up and catch the bale of hay and then bring it down and, one stage, you just moved in time because Bill Hay came down and top, top tracks, so, you know. Wow. So he was lucky because top track was open, you know. It can be a very dangerous environment, I imagine, being very, on, very on a farm. And we see yeah. lots of advertising about farm safety, and I'm sure yeah. your husband yeah. would have seen that and it would have registered with him. And it exactly. seems to me that what happened is just a, a freak, that this okay, pot, pothole just, yeah. just took the wheel of yeah. the, the slurry tanker and, and pulled the tractor over. It did, like, uh, the tractor went over, you see, the pothole, you know, and mm-hmm. the slurry tank, tank didn't. It's actually the, the the first wheel on the left-hand side of the slurry tank, you know, went down. Sure, I mean, the tractor would and certainly, it, with with its wide wheelbase, be much more balanced than a heavy yeah. slurry tanker, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so you're really appealing to everybody out there who has machinery as part of... Uh, I am. As I part am. of their it's, farm, it's, to make sure it's... Not only adults, it's children as well, you see, there's... There's all, it's the how many children have died in farm accidents as well, you know. Uh, yeah, just be careful. Like, if, they're, if they see tractors on the road, you know, it's not only one is coming towards them, don't overtake them. Like, it's about two or three, you know, that's coming. Mm-hmm. If you see one tractor, you think that that's it, you can overtake. It's very, very dangerous even if you do that, you know. So it's two or three would come, you see. And what about young people who are part of farming families getting to know machinery can i say this delicately getting to know machinery before maybe they're of a legal age to do so does that still go on i as far as i know i i i think it does like um as far as i know because my son was saying to me like he still works now because he has taken over his dad you know what he does his dad used to do mm-hmm. um so he's very careful, like, he checks everything, like, every part of the tractor, you know, very safe, you know, and, yeah, yeah, so I think they do, but if they don't, like, I'm just putting the word out there to every farmer out there, just please, please, uh, uh, just check everything that you can, like, it, even from, you know, the clutch to the brake to make sure the doors and... You know, uh, windows and doors, uh, safety, check the fields, it's the potholes, you know, the fences. 
I sure like it's failed to hear up that they're safe. Yeah. There are too many deaths today on our roads, and I think you'll, you'll agree there are too many deaths on our farms as well. Oh, oh God, I'm sure yeah. Not too many. Like, um, every time that my children, you know, um, see a farm accident or hear on the news, you know, like my grandson, he usually gets nightmares. Really doing an apology to do. And of course, it's, it's part you of know? the media's duty to people and to the Republic yeah. to publicise that there's been yet another accident and another fatality on a farm. Uh, but oh, that yeah. obviously upsets your, your family. Oh, it does, it does. Every time that they're, yeah, every time that they hear of a farm accident, you're on the news or something to do with a farm or some, some cars after running into a tractor, or, yeah, it's been back, it's been back to memories for them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's, rem- yeah, let's remember him for a moment, if, if yeah. you don't mind. Let's remember Philip. He was only age 51. He was, he was. He was a great dad and brilliant granddad, brilliant dad, yeah. He lived like to full, you know. He did. And you never know the time or the hour, would you? It was on uh, Wednesday uh, evening, half five, on 15th of May. Yeah. Well, as I say, he, he, he went out to work that, that morning, you know, probably being fully safety conscious, having all his machinery in good order. He did, he did. Um, not knowing he the day. my daughter's house, mm-hmm. um, Lisa, uh, and... <laughs> He'd say, prong the kettle, you know, he, but they were, he was rushing for his dogs in the classroom and they sandwiched for them. But he said, please, Dad, one morning, he didn't say it was, like, he'd always say, um, I love you, I'll see you later. Mm-hmm. You know, but one time he'd say, he just said, see you later, we're rushing. You know, and, yeah, so. Mm. It's still very raw, I can feel it in your voice. It is, it is, it is. Very raw, and uh, like as I said, no, Mick. It's every time like that there is a farm accident, even on tracks on the road. Even my grandchildren are there, you know. Even like the day before, you there was uh, doing like his mobile, I should say, before tracks passed on the road, you know. Mm-hmm. And the grandchildren outside, like um. I suppose every time they see a tractor, they'll think of their granddad. And it's been been very brave of you to come on and and relay your story, the tragic loss of your husband, and uh, really to put a message out there to all involved in any heavy machinery, I suppose, not just on farms. And to to the public as well, if they they are driving near any farm, you know, you'd often see... Farmers, like, um, you know, cows to road and bring them to the other part of the field, you know, across the field mm. or across the road. Like, be very careful, like, you know, as I say, like, because when they come up, they don't see the cows or they don't even see the tractors. Well, they might see a tractor, but they don't realise that there's two or three tractors, you know, that's coming. So just be careful, you know, and check everything on the farm. Okay, no more we can say. Um you remember Philip forever, as will his family. It's been a, a tragic, tragic accident. And my children, my grandchildren, will have died. Mm-hmm. Yes, very brave, Anne. Thank so you very I, much for coming on this morning. It was like if you, they asked me if you could play a song for him. From, he was from Tipperary, you see. The Gatsby Mountain Boy. Thank Thanks a million, Anne. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, bye-bye. And I spoke to Anne, uh, who looked for that request. The Galtie Mountain Boy it wouldn't be a staple of the uh, the Red FM uh, 
playlist, uh, but we'll give it a bar as we remind you that it's Farm Safety Week 2020. It's taking place from the 20th to the 24th of July. And 2020 marks the 8th annual Farm Safety Week UK and Ireland. It's an initiative led by the IFA in Ireland aiming to reduce the number of accidents on farms and bring about a change in culture that makes unsafe practices socially unacceptable. Here's Christy Moore. In and sentenced for to die Out of Tipperary Said the Galtie Mountain Boy And that bar, the Galtie Mountain Boy with Christy Moore was in memory of Philip Lonergan from Ballyporeen in County Tipperary. My thanks to Anne for coming on and speaking so eloquently about so tragic and poignant a situation, even a year and a bit on. Uh, had a personal text. Great show, Mick, listening to you from the Lord Mayor's office. This is from the Lord Mayor himself. Uh, he said, you have a great segment on business support. I'm really enjoying it. It's very topical and keep up the good work, says Lord Mayor Joe Cavanaugh. And I'd like to get to speak to the Lord Mayor. It's kind of been a tradition on uh, the programme when uh, a new Lord Mayor comes in. So let's uh, hope we can speak to uh, Lord Mayor Joe Cavanaugh. Maybe Friday, Monday, that, that direction. We will get to speak to him before uh, I leave the programme and uh, before Neil returns. Now then, we have uh, an email here from the wife of Robbie Walsh. You spoke with my husband. Well, Neil spoke with, uh, with Robbie last week and I played the interview yesterday. Uh, you spoke with my husband, Robbie Walsh, regarding his disease. While listening to your show this morning on mental health, I just want to say because of the trauma that my husband went through, it has had a massive effect on his mental well-being. He wants to highlight that it's nothing to be ashamed about if you need to ask for help. As his, as his wife, I'm so, so proud of him for what he went through physically and now what he's going through mentally. If this year has taught me anything, it's, uh, it has shown me how strong we are together as a team and what we can achieve. If I could also just say thank you to all our family and friends who were there and helped out and the staff at the Mercy Hospital. They are miracle workers there and in my eyes they are saints. What they do on a daily basis just blows me away. The last people I would like to thank is the Army. Robert is a serving member and since the very first day they have stayed by my side and supported us every step of the way with whatever we needed. I will always be grateful and thankful for this uh, and to also to my husband and the father of our kids. He is our hero and our Superman. I want to be able to hear this and see that he is our be-all and end-all. Thank you for taking the time to read this and mind yourself, says Tracy with kisses. Uh, so, well done to all concerned. Well done to the army. Well done to Tracy. Well done to the Mercy. Uh, well done to Robert. Uh, and whatever battles he's fighting, I'm sure, as a family uh, unit, so cohesively described there, uh, they're going to get through everything. And I know we've had uh, national and a little bit of international press yesterday contacting the Neil Prendival Show for access to Robbie's story. So it may go a little further than just Cork. Uh, but he fought a brave battle uh, and he had some very poignant words in there that really struck with me. He's the luckiest unlucky person alive. And that really says a lot, you know. Uh, he may not be here at all or he may be here missing a leg, but he's here with a leg and he's struggling to get back to full 100% capacity. And everybody, but everybody from army to medics to family, uh, his mother-in-law was on with us yesterday, are all behind him. So well done to all concerned. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM.
104 to 106 Red FM. And a very good morning to you at 25 minutes to 11. Just a quick couple of texts uh, before we go back to our phone lines. John was in the Hook Lighthouse in Wexford, full of camper vans from the UK over the weekend. And Rosslare Harbour was full of Irish Wedge camper vans heading to the UK. The Irish are travelling too and from the UK as well. It's not just British people coming over here from affected areas. It's the same thing when we had the 5K rule lockdown. UK Reg campers and Dubliners are taking weekend trips away. I'm from Dublin myself, and this is bang out of order. Also, how do we know people are sticking to the self-isolation rule? And Shane says that all flights should be cancelled anyway. Nobody should be left in or out from any country. We'll be back in the poxy lockdown again, all over this travelling. It takes just one person to have it, as it started here. It's not fair to the many people who have died already, and then you can't pay your respects to the family because of the funeral rules. We need our countries to get back to normal. The green list for travel has caused a plethora of texts to come in. Linnea says, if you're considering doing a list for travelling, then tear it up for essential travellers such as medical, business and those who have families abroad. Everything else is not necessary right now. And to be honest, it's egotistic to travel just for fun right now. Jackie says, my concern would be going on the flight. The filters in the air conditioning are not changed as often as people would like to believe they are. And Martin, I will get back to more of these texts later. Martin says, Ireland is the most reluctant country in Europe to get back to a level of normality. We've extended lockdown before. The government pushed back phase four of the reopening. They advised people against travel. They also threatened to go back phases. It's not difficult to see that the plan is to keep the people scared and compliant. It's working too. Too many gullible people are brainwashed and about 80% of the population are now paralysed by fear. The country can't go on like this. Economically, there has to be a severe price and correction coming soon. Back to our phone lines and to line one. Uh, morning, Anne-Marie. Oh, hi. Hello. Good morning. Now, you want to concentrate and put emphasis on the opening or reopening of schools. Absolutely, yes. I think, I'm, I mean, we've focused so much on travel and pubs, and I totally understand that, and I can see, you know, it's, it's very important to keep the economy open and, and stuff, but I think we're missing the main kind of uh, the finish line, which is the reopening of schools. They were the first thing to close during this uh, pandemic. Um, And obviously, you know, opening of schools is supposed to be happening in phase five, and we haven't actually reached phase four yet. Um, Bearing in mind, we're coming up to the end of July, um, and schools play a a huge role. Uh, They play a vital role in society and a child's life. And you know, obviously, it's not just the education, it's the social side of, of, of the learning aspect and the, the providing spiritual, emotional support. And, and it's, and it's going to be extremely upsetting if, you know, if we can't come together and, um, you know, follow guidelines and follow what's been advised, whether or not it's going to work or not, if we don't try to do something now, it's going to be far too late in three weeks' time. And look at the, you know, look at the numbers, follow the trends and say, well, the numbers are still rising. It's not safe for us to open schools. I I hasten to add, Anne-Marie, we're we're back on the original suggested timeline. You know, we're still looking at possibly going into the next phase in April or August 10th. Uh, and, And so the timeline for opening schools might be a little bit pushed back, but it's still there. I venture also to say, though, that I don't think personally the schools can open successfully under a two-metre separation rule. No, and and then that's true. And that's why I think we need to have everything in place, the, the control of the amount of virus which is, you know, replicating, which is coming into, you know, the R number. That's 
the most important sort of, uh, I suppose, number that everybody's talking about. And that determines whether or not we're going to be able to, you know, the one metre, the two metre distancing. And within schools, I do, uh, I'm a teacher, so I do understand there is very little space within a classroom to try and distance yourself if you're going to keep to the two metre guideline rules. And I can't see that actually. I would think it would have to be the one metre but only because of the R rate, the R number is down low enough. And, you know, and, and we are working together to try and lower that, um, whether or not it's, you know, wearing the mask or not. Because I've heard quite a few people getting very upset about having to wear a mask. And, I, and, it's, and we're being a little bit short-sighted, you know. Yes, it's upsetting for some people to wear a mask. I totally understand if it's a medical reason, don't, you know, that obviously don't. But if you do have that choice, the, the children don't have a voice. We are the child's voice. We are, you know, we are the ones that are going to make it happen for them. And I, I'm just a little concerned that, you know, our numbers are increasing, you know, our case numbers. Um, they, the, the government will have a D-Day. There will be a D-Day on deciding whether or not we can open the schools safely. And that will come around fast. I mean, we're coming up to the end of July already. We're supposed to be opening up supposedly around about the end of August on a phase return. And I'm, I'm, I'm just concerned if we don't really pull together and try and work, you know, as a nation and, and, wor- and forget about our own personal issues about whatever we have about the mask or whatever in, in this. Uh, playing Russian roulette isn't going to really work. You know, this sort of, oh, it might work, it might not work, you know. Yeah, so, well, Anne-Marie, can, can I ask you, you know, aside from the general safety precautions like distancing, uh, masks, washing uniforms every day, that kind of thing, and I have an email I'm going to read on that uh, in a minute. As a teacher, can I ask you, how far behind do you think the students of Ireland are right now? What age do you represent? Right, so I don't, I'm only, I'm not teaching in Ireland at the moment. I only moved over last year and I'm going to be doing subsistence teaching. What well, hopefully okay. is all going well. Um, they, from where I've learned from in education within the UK system, like six months, fairly, I mean, depending on how much input happens at home, that no matter what input happens at home, it's not the same as input from a school and from a teacher mm. because a, a, a teacher knows the level that the child is at exactly. They know where they can push them. They know where the curriculum is moving, where it's going to be going. And we can do so much at home, but it's not the same as a teacher who is you know, familiar with the curriculum, who is familiar with all the schemes of work, who are going to be able to push the children to the next level. Um, there's only so much you can do at home. And I don't think this is sustainable. I don't think we can keep this going for another three or four months. And with autumn, winter coming in, there's always that fear, you know, will this happen again? Will we have to close the schools again? Um, You know, there was a point where I thought, oh, God, if we came back earlier rather than the later, at least we could catch up on something that we've missed. Um, but obviously that's not going to happen. We're not going mm. to be going back to the end of August. Well, well for primary schools in, in particular, is, do you think it would be political right now to say, look, you're all going to have to go back and start the year that you left? You, you can't just pick up with six months missing. Uh, well, no, I suppose they only missed out from the last two to three months. And I don't think, personally, I don't think that will happen. I think when they go into school, they will probably do six weeks, probably intensive, okay. um, you know, work on, on possibly the end of last year, up the testing, seeing where they're at, 
that they'll, they'll have they have to find the start line where those children are at. They will be testing. There will be lots of little, you know, assessments and stuff to see where they're at. And I would think they probably would cover part of some of last year's, but they will full full swing straight into their year group they're in. You you can't get the whole year group to go back a year for two months per se. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, okay. If we open so again, it, then it, it, if we open again, but yeah. but it's. it's the teacher's job and the principals and the leadership roles, it's very difficult for them. It's very, very difficult. They have, you know, safety first, you know, the, you know, the duty of care. They, you know, they have to follow so many policies and, and they ha- have, to, and there's only one step of it. If it goes wrong, you know, the school could end up closing or whatever. And so, you know, it's just that apprehension and not knowing is it going to happen? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, it, as we it, stand, as we stand, Anne Marie, the children, as you say, have rightfully stayed in uh, under under the guidance and you know under the, the guardianship of their parents. They've essentially followed all the rules. They've suffered at the same time. They couldn't, you know, they, you know, they couldn't have recreation time with their own friends. Maybe a little mm-hmm. online, but it's not the same. But now they really no. are at the they are, are at the mercy of what happens because of a certain amount of confusion that's existing around travel and around access, and around quarantine, and around red countries mm. and green mm. countries, mm. Um, and around, you know, American tourists being allowed to come in, but we're not go- allowed to go the other way. And all of this potpourri, this melting pot of factors, is going to determine whether the one-metre rule comes into play rather than the two-metre, and is going to play really on any option we have of opening the schools is still going to be up in the air right now, isn't it? Absolutely, and and this is where I don't think a lot of people have sort of they're all talking about the travel and they're all talking about the, you know, pubs and the restaurants and the house parties. But actually, the people at the very end of this line are the schools and everything that happens there determines what happens there. And ultimately what happens to all of our children. Uh, hang on a second there, Anne-Marie. Jenny, you want to come in there? You're going to be homeschooling, are you? Hi, mate. If, if my daughter has to go back to any social distancing, I won't be sending her back. It's psychologically damaging for little kids. Okay, humans are social beings then? They are. Like, you know, there's no way you can put them back and you expect them to to keep a social distance. Like, to do that to children, like, under the age of 13, I think, is so wrong. Yeah, what about one metre? Would would, would it work at one metre, do you think? No, because you're, you're like, you're, this is not normal to be telling your children to walk along a line to keep back. You're sending your children to be in fear every day. You're just going to make them so anxious. It's not normal for little kids. To Would you agree, Anne Marie? It has to be normal schooling or none at all. Um, look, schools run by rules, and all kids have class rules. And some rules might be new. They might change the rules within the school to kind of, you know, to to to, to cover this virus. You know, the rules of the, you know the one meter, and. It is going to be very unnatural. I don't think it's very fair on children. It, I, I see my own children are a bit nervous about people getting too close to them. And that's just outside, not even in school, you know. And I, I would say they probably would think of doing things where they have, you know, staggered times for things, you know, play times, you know, outside in the yard and things like that. They will do things like that where they socialise within their own class, whether mm. or not they, they socialise within two or three classes will be a different because um, obviously this is all dependent on what the government will say and what they will require okay. them to do. Jenny, are, are you entitled to homeschool or are you breaching any constitutional no. responsibility there? 
Thank God we live in Ireland and we're entitled to homeschool our own children. Okay. It's one of our constitutional yeah. rights and I'm so happy for that because a lot of countries, they don't allow homeschooling so we're, we're blessed that we can homeschool our own children. Mm-hmm. But I will not send my child back to to be in fear to every day to be frightened to not touch people because they might have a virus. Like I've nothing around my, my child is five, I've nothing around her to know about a virus. I turn off the news, I turn off the radio, she's not going to be in fear. I was out yesterday with my youngest, she's only two and she was in a buggy and there was a mom, and she was like, she practically shouted at her seven-year-old, don't touch that, get over here, there's a coronavirus. She was covering oh her hand, his yeah. hands in, like, and he, he covering mm. his hands in antibacterial gel. My heart broke for the child. Like, I'm so sad for the children that so are... So you're, you're cocooning your child, Jenny, essentially. You're cocooning your child from the... You're cocooning your child, not, not just from the virus, child. but... No, but, I've been, my but, child has been going to the playground. She's been seeing her friends and my, my family, her, the, my, my best friends and her, her little family. We've been... I have a group of friends that we just hang out with together like there's two other moms and we just stay together our little group we don't talk but, to them both well, what I meant is you're cocooning her from any element of psychological fear oh definitely yeah I'm not yeah. going to let this Okay, her I've got to leave it there guys Anne-Marie and yeah, Jenny thank okay, you very thank much you. for that thank you uh, and the thank uncertainty you. whether schools will eliminate the need for uniforms has also been the cause of anxiety for some parents I received the following email from a listener uh, so what do you think of this should they purchase their child's school uniform um, hi Mick I've heard talk of schools wanting the government to ditch school uniforms as part of the Phase 4 regulation to reopen schools this September. Last week, someone told me principals have called for no uniforms this coming school year. If the uniform is maintained, I'm told we are expected to hot wash my child's outfit daily in order to beat COVID-19. Washing school uniforms at 60 degrees Celsius or higher every day and having it dry for the following morning is unrealistic. We have an appointment on Tuesday with a store for my daughter's school uniform. Without clear guidance, I do not know what to do as a first-time parent of a child starting their school journey on the 27th of August. Can you please ask other parents, what are they planning with their kids? Do I cancel the uniform appointment and wait for the government or the Minister for Education to make a ruling or do I go ahead and purchase the expensive outfit? My wife is all for getting the uniform because she's afraid we may not get another appointment in time for the start of the school year. We've already received a bill for €184 Euros for books and the cost of two uniforms and tracksuits is running at around €300. Euro. I know this is at the lower end of the scale when it comes to school life, but anything we can do to save spending money unnecessarily would be great. I'm not even certain whether my child's school will be enforcing the voluntary contribution this coming year. Maybe the saving on the uniform could go back into the school, says John in Cove. It's a very valid point uh, being expected to wash a uniform at 60 degrees, have it dry uh, each and every day, five days a week for the child to go to school is unrealistic. And I wonder what the Green Party would think of it. It's 10 to 11. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And a very good morning to you and to uh, Ellen, who spoke to Neil Prenderville uh, last Friday. And I just want to get a quick update from her. Ellen, good morning. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Uh, not bad at all. How, how Can you quickly synopsize what you said to Neil on Friday? We, uh, uh, we're happy to have you on air now just to give you a kind of a clarification on what, what's happened since you spoke to Neil. Okay, I spoke to Neil last Friday. I We had received um, an email from Farron Lee, which is um, college accommodation, private college accommodation in Victoria Cross in Cork. Um, my son is, is going into second year and he, we had received an email demanding €3,600 for payment, um, which had to be paid by today. 
um, or else he would lose his place. To secure so, your you son's know, place then, this 3648 yeah. euro had to be paid today? Had to be paid by today. That's a non-refundable now, figure? Non-refundable. So at the time, um, repeats hadn't started and there was no clarity from UCC when lectures would restart or would they even restart or whether it would be all online. Um, in the meantime as well, we had been onto the Students' Union and we hadn't heard anything back from them. So as a result of going on the show, Farron Lee came back two hours later with an email to all the students saying that no money had to be paid until the 14th of August. Now, at least that gives us the time frame to get clarity from UCC, what way lecturers will be run or whether it'll be all distance learning or whatever will happen. But it was just a great result and we are delighted. Okay, thank so you for the airtime. It was fantastic. I'm not taking any of Neil's accolades. It was, it, it was he and Brenda and the team uh, that, that did the work. Uh, just goes to show you the power of the airwaves though. So they've extended the deadline until next month, the 14th of August. That time will yes. trundle by very quickly. Are you expecting yes. to get positive results by then? We're hoping. Um, UCC have sent out an email to the students saying that they're expected back at the beginning of September. So now we're just waiting for class schedules. So we are hopeful that they should be out in the next week or so before this deadline comes. And once we have those class schedules, then we'll know what is the best course of action for, you know, for the students. Okay. But if, uh, to all intents and purposes, we have uh, at least a temporary result. Absolutely. A temporary result, which is great, which is more than we can say than that, you know, for when they closed down in March, they gave us no refund for, for two and a half months because they maintained that Farron Lee was open. It was there available for the students, even though the country was in lockdown and nobody could travel. But, you know, at least we can hold on to this money. And, you know, dependent on, on, on you know, what's going to happen with the students, well, then we can come up with a plan B if need. OK, great to hear it. Thanks a million. Great to have and the that's update. Great. And thank you for having me back on. Oh, fantastic. Again, it's, it's, thanks it's great. For, great to for get the, the positive retweet. update, Helen. Thanks very much. <laughs> okay. Cheers. Okay. Thanks. Bye bye. Thank you. Thanks. Bye bye. Now, the Green List for Travel, Karen is saying, are they having a laugh putting Italy on the list? That's where it all started uh, in Europe. Geraldine says, the Green List reminds me of voting in the Eurovision. Uh, Anne says, the government are making it up as they go along. They're totally clueless. Teresa says, I'm Irish. I'm following all the rules. I've not yet been home since January to see my family. We live in Hamburg in Germany. And there's been no reported deaths here since May. The list of countries is a surprise considering the UK and American tourists are welcome here with open arms. I think the government are too scared to make a wrong move. They're treading on eggshells and they should uh, should have got worldwide respect and would have got worldwide respect if they shut the country down New Zealand style. And it's not too late to, to do this. And Michelle says this is an absolute disaster. No travel should be allowed in the middle of a pandemic. And we will speak on the issue uh, with the Minister for Foreign Affairs and Defence, uh, Simon Coveney TD, after the news at 11 o'clock, which is on the way. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And I'm joined on line one by the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney TD. Good morning, Minister. Uh, good morning, Mick. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you on once again. I don't often get a chance to speak to you. I'm more often introducing you to speak at functions and that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, first of all, congratulations on your continued uh, appointment as Minister for Foreign Affairs and on the new, of course, appointment in which you have had uh, previous experience. Uh, and that, of course, is defence. Can I ask you, Minister Coveney, there's been certain confusion regarding the publication of this green list. It's kind of a green light for not to go. Can I put it that way? 
Yeah, look, I mean, I can understand that there's some confusion. This is something we've been promising for a number of weeks now. Um, I mean, there's two sort of clear messages that I'd like to get across. First of all, the general message from government is that the safest thing to do for you and your family is to is to holiday at home here in Ireland. Um, it's far less complicated. Uh, you know the risks here. Uh, the protocols around um, public health advice are very clear in terms of social distancing and so on. But we also know that about 50,000 people a week are leaving Ireland at the moment to go predominantly on their holidays uh, to other parts of Europe. And so I have an obligation as the Minister for Foreign Affairs to give accurate uh, travel advice based on the risk levels that we know are linked to different countries in relation to COVID-19 at the moment. So we know that the European Centre for Disease Control, for example, effectively measures COVID risk levels on the basis of the number of positive COVID tests per 100,000 that a country has had over the last 14 days. Target being five, Uh, yeah? Um, in Ireland, that figure is five, which is very low, by the way, uh, by, uh, by world standards and European standards. We're doing really well in relation to containing COVID-19, and we want to keep it that way. But I need to, to provide, I need to treat people like adults. And when they are making a decision to travel, even though we'd rather they didn't, uh, I'd like them to have accurate information as to the countries that are safer and the countries that aren't. And the countries that aren't on this so-called green list, uh, uh, when you travel to them and when you come home, you, you are required to restrict your movement or to self-quarantine for 14 days. For countries that are on the green list uh, that don't represent a higher risk level than Ireland, you're not required to restrict your movement when you come back. In other words, the restrictions aren't necessary because the risk levels don't require them. And really, that's the only change from last night. Um, So we've taken an approach that's based on data, statistics, uh, where we can measure the COVID risk levels in other countries. And I'm giving accurate information to people on the basis of effectively the the 15 safest countries in the EU uh, who all have lower figures than Ireland. Um, and so if you're traveling there, one, you'll be able to get travel insurance and two, when you come home, you won't have to restrict your movement. For all other countries, the advice stays the exact same. Uh, avoid non-essential travel because by coming home, uh, you potentially could be importing the disease back into Ireland and therefore we're asking you to restrict your movement for 14 days. And I think it's important to say to people as well, just to reassure them that none of the 15 Uh, destinations that are on this green list now uh, have any COVID um, link with them in terms of positive tests in Ireland linked to international travel. No, but but, um, Uh, if if you look at going to Gibraltar, you're going to have to fly through another airport, be it London or whatever. You can't get to uh, Monaco without without going through France. Yeah, so I accept that. So, I mean, we've taken advice from the World Health Organization on that. uh, And they they don't regard transiting through airports as uh, as a significant extra risk. So um, so what we're saying is... But Monaco doesn't have an airport, to, Minister. You, you have to yeah, go no, through France to get yeah, there. Yeah, you have to go through Nice to get there. Yeah. I haven't been there, but that's what I'm told. Um, so the reason why this list is as it is, is that this is the same list of countries that the European Centre for Disease Control has on their list. The truth is that very, very few people from Ireland are going to go to Monaco. But if we didn't have some of these uh, countries on the list, people would ask me the question, you know, I thought you were using the European Centre for Disease Control list Mm -hmm. as the basis for making decisions. Why isn't Monaco there? Because it's on the list. 
Okay. So, so like the reality is that countries uh, like Monaco, San Marino, Gibraltar will have very few Irish people travelling to them. Uh, we know that. Um, the countries that people will be more interested in, in the context of travel arrangements that they may have, will certainly be places like um, like Hungary, like Cyprus, like Greece, like Italy, like Malta. Um, Why is Italy on the list, books? Minister? Why Italy? That's what everyone is asking. The epicentre of COVID-19 in Europe is on the green list. And France isn't. Yeah. And UK isn't. Yeah, no, and The Canaries aren't, which, is, which is, um, seems incredulous. I, I, are, yeah, are, they, are they the victim of their political um, connection to Spain and not their ge- geographical reality? Yeah, I mean, just... Let me explain that. So, I mean, Italy is where it started in Europe. There's no question about that. It moved from China to Italy and then spread to the rest of Europe from Italy. But Italy has um, uh, had a very uh, significant lockdown period. Uh, and the numbers in Italy are very, very low now. You know, the, uh, the figure in terms of positive tests per 100,000 over the last 14 days in Italy is 4.65, which is below Ireland, which is at 4.9. Um, so um, uh, Italy has uh, really managed to contain and isolate and stamp out the coronavirus, albeit after an extraordinary period of of tragedy and heartache in Italy. Uh, we know that tens of thousands of people died, um, but but they have got a handle on it. If that changes then the data will change as well and the advice will change and we will take Italy off the list. Okay. 50,000 people, Minister, leaving the country, you're saying. How many are are coming in? How many are coming in? Yeah, so so, um, uh, uh, people coming in, uh, about 35,000 people coming in, most of them Irish people returning home. Uh, 3,000 of that 35,000 in the last week came from these green list countries with no evidence of any connection with COVID, uh, which I think is encouraging. Um, So, um, uh, by the way, uh, as well as announcing the green list last night, we've also made commitments to tighten up protocols in airports. So everybody, including countries, uh, people coming from greenlist countries, will have to fill out a passenger locator form when they arrive in Ireland. And that's going online, um, I think, is it? That's going online to make sure that we can uh, stamp out any fraud that's there in terms of giving inaccurate information. In other words, uh, we'll, like, we'll test your mobile fo- phone through the, um, uh, the online system uh, to make sure that it's correct uh, rather than just a, a, you know, a paper-filling exercise. We're also going to set up a call centre which, which will have significantly increased capacity to be able to make follow-up calls to everybody mm-hmm. who arrives back into Ireland uh, to make sure that they are where they say they're going to be, that, that, that they're self-quarantining um, uh, or restricting their movement if that's what's required of them and, of course, to make sure that they fully understand the public health advice uh, that, that they should be complying with. So, so we are tightening up uh, in our airports. What we've done in international travel, by the way, so far has been extraordinarily effective. You know, we've, you know the number of people that are traveling to and from Ireland is less than 10% of what it would normally be at this time of year. It's 2% of what it would normally be from the US at this time of year. Um, so, um, the decision last night is partly reflecting the fact that Ireland has got to find a way of living with this virus in the future while maintaining international connectivity for goods and services as well as for people. And part of that process is to start this green list uh, approach, uh, which will 
adapt and change every two weeks, uh, depending on the data and the public health advice that we get. Okay. Um, and, and I think that is the uh, the most targeted and appropriate way to do this, even though the overall message from government is keep this simple. Don't travel abroad this year for your holidays. Instead, spend your money in West Cork or somewhere else. Um, on on where, that on that point, Minister, you, you are probably the politician with the most innate knowledge, considering the brief you're in, of our nearest neighbour. Can I ask you, why is there not an all-island uh, geographical approach, a joined-up thinking approach to the northern section of this island and the southern when it comes to restrictions, when it comes to quarantining uh, and everything else? Why are we not taking an all-island approach? Well, we're trying uh, to do that. Um, and, you know, I was in Belfast yesterday meeting the First Minister, Deputy First Minister, and a whole lot of other ministers as well from the other parties. Um, also meeting the business community there, primarily focusing on Brexit, but also on, on international travel. Um, we have had, we've been having, having video conference calls uh, with the Minister for Health, the Secretary of State, and the First and Deputy First Minister, sort of roughly every two or three weeks since uh, the COVID emergency began. So, you know, we have to respect the fact that Northern Ireland has its own public health advice. Uh, Northern Ireland uh, is required to respond to policy that comes from London okay. uh, and from Westminster. Uh, but there has been a very significant effort to try to coordinate on an all-island basis as best we can. There's been fantastic cooperation between the PSNI uh, and the Gardaí um, in, in relation to the movement of people and restricting that. And of course, if you remember, the very first case of COVID-19 on the island of Ireland uh, was a person who came through Dublin Airport on their way home to Northern Ireland. And it was the cooperation between North and South, the sharing of information that managed that case very effectively in terms of isolating and contact tracing okay. around that, uh, that first case. So we are working closely together. It's not ideal uh, because, of course, there are different uh, different advices coming to to our government and to the uh, to the executive in Northern Ireland, but we are trying to manage the differences in a way that makes it as coordinated as it can. Okay, I got lots of questions, Simon Coveney, and I know you have the mental agility to keep up with me. But can I can I ask for quick answers if you can, please? Of course. Yeah. Uh, number one, you never answered about the, uh, the Canaries. What's the situation? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, so, look, I mean, it may be possible in the weeks ahead to be able to differentiate between the Canary Islands and mainland Spain. But look, we had to keep it simple in terms of starting with a green list of countries. And the way in which the European Centre for Disease Control does this is, you know, it lists countries. Uh, or, or, or territories. And so for now, we haven't differentiated between mainland Spain and okay. the Canary Islands, which, are, which of course are part of Spain. Is that, that why Jersey and the Channel Islands is not on the green list? Happens. Jersey and the Channel Islands is not on the green list either? No, it's not. Uh, but no, could be. Not. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I suppose that's possible um, uh, if, the, if the instances are very low there and we go into that level of detail. But we're trying at the moment to link travel advice with countries or overseas territories, if you like, uh, as is the case for both Gibraltar and Greenland. Okay. Um, uh, because they are named specifically as travel destinations on the European Centre for Disease Control list. And we have the data which is verifiable for that. Okay. Um, and that's so we've started here with a very cautious approach and I think that's what people would expect from us. All right, 10,000 new cases a day in Texas, yet a flight from Dallas lands in Dublin. Why are US visitors um, you know, now the highest country in the world uh, in proportion for, for this COVID-19 outbreak? Why are US visitors allowed to seemingly holiday here with abandon? Well, that, that's not the case. 
you know, people are not coming in from the U.S. and holidaying with abandon. People who come into the U.S. are given information before they come. They'll have to fill out a passenger locator form. Uh, they will get a follow-up call to make sure that they are restricting their movement. Um, and, you know, I think it's important to say that the numbers of people traveling from the U.S. to Ireland are about 2% of what they would normally be at this time of year. And many of those who are coming are Irish people returning home. Okay. We, ha- so we have evidence to say that, been, that, that you know, American tourists are are not self-isolating. There have been some cases of American tourists that don't seem to be self-isolating. That is true. And we have to address that in terms of communications. And we are. But I think it's important not to exaggerate for effect either. Uh, the numbers of tourists coming from the US this year are a tiny fraction of what they would normally be. And most of them that have been interviewed in Dublin Airport, certainly that I've heard, understand their obligations in terms of restricting their movement while they're here. There, of course, will be some people who aren't complying with those rules and we have to deal with that. But I think the numbers are very, very low. Okay. And, and, and I, I think I'm correct in saying that, that in the last week, there's only been one case of COVID-19 in terms of positive tests that has been linked with travel from the US. Only one. Okay. And US troops flying through Shannon Airport, safe? Yeah, well, I mean, there'll be, I mean, that's a different issue because they never come stateside, if you like, of the airport. Um, so they are... Um, They're in the airport, considered safe. Are, yeah, are, are planes, their protocols within the airport, they never leave the airport. They get back, I mean, uh, Shannon Airport is essentially used for a refueling stop um, and uh, troops get back on the plane and off they go. They're never effectively in the state proper outside of, outside of Shannon Airport in a controlled environment. Okay, direct question from a listener. Her daughters live in Scotland, have booked a flight to come home for a week. The caller is wondering if this is allowed, as they haven't seen each other in a long time, and if not, she'd think about meeting them up in the north. They'd be here for a week, but that's not long enough for the quarantine period. Yeah, look, I mean, we would recommend against that. Um, you know, what, what we're trying to do at the moment is to, is to advise against no non-essential travel. Uh, to countries that aren't on a green list. Uh, and the UK and Scotland is not on the green list. Um, so the advice from government is don't travel unless you absolutely have to. And I know that's that's very difficult for people who, who haven't seen people that they love uh, and people that, that are close to them for a long time. Uh, but it's the same case here for people who have parents in a nursing home, for example, who might only be allowed to see them once a week or once a fortnight for, for a limited period of time having to wear PPE before mm-hmm. they see them. You know, this is a cruel time. Uh, uh, but the reason why we're asking the public to comply with the advice of government is to protect people's lives uh, and to try to stamp out this virus and to limit it's spread. Okay, here's an uh, anomaly, Simon Coveney. Taoiseach Michal Martin went to Belgium. It's not on the green list. He came home and yeah. didn't self-isolate and went into the Doyle. By what standards do politicians hold themselves accountable to the COVID-19 restrictions? Yeah, no, look, I, that's a criticism that I've heard a number of people make. And let me just explain um, what happened there. So there are people who come in and out of Ireland every single day who are considered uh, essential workers, who essentially are exempt from the 14-day uh, uh, restricted movement uh, ask. So hauliers that, that are you know, bringing goods in and out of Ireland every single day to keep our supermarket shelves filled, uh, pilots that are coming in and out, cabin crew that are coming in and out, um, uh, you know, service personnel that need to come to, to Apple or to Johnson & Johnson 
to fix a specialised machine and they've had to come in from abroad because the skill set isn't here to do it. Um, and senior politicians who need to represent the country at important meetings, like the Taoiseach, had a, a meeting with other EU leaders to make a decision around 1.8 trillion euros uh, of money to be spent over the next seven years, much of it in Ireland. Uh, are people seriously suggesting that Micheál Martin, as our Taoiseach, shouldn't have been there representing our Irish interests when every other EU leader was there? So, you know, the Taoiseach is considered an essential worker when he's doing an essential job abroad. Uh, and so just like a haulier or a pilot, mm-hmm. um, he's exempt from, from having to restrict his movement when he comes back. But that doesn't mean he doesn't take precautions when he's travelling in terms of wearing a mask, in terms of uh, social distancing and so on. OK, fair enough answer. I'll give you that one. Now, uh, can you please ask Mr Coveney for people who've been laid off temporarily, income is down, they can't, if they can't pay their holiday balance, they might lose three or four grand, let's say, for a yeah. trip to the USA. Anything can be done for those people or do they just have to cancel the flights and get, try and get refunds? Yeah, I mean, look, I know this is a difficulty for many families and they've contacted me about it. Um, you know, the, the uh, when we have the, the travel advice of avoid non-essential travel, but the plane still flies anyway, but people decide not to go on it because the government have recommended that they shouldn't. Um, there isn't an automatic right then to a full refund um, unless the flight is cancelled itself. Uh, and that means that some people are, people who choose not to, go on a family holiday uh, are, are potentially losing money on the back of that. And, you know, that is a sacrifice that people are making. We recognise that. We've looked in government as to whether we can put some kind of a, a recognition or compens- compensation scheme I- in place to, to compensate people who are making those decisions. It's not easy to do that easily. Um, uh, and so we haven't managed to do it yet. Um, but I do acknowledge that it's an issue. Um, are we ready for a sudden shutdown, a second wave? Are we ready to lock down the country again? And what implications pertain? Yeah, look, I mean, I think if we if we have a, a second wave of this virus and, um, you know, it's likely to be in the basis of clusters in different parts of the country, uh, I think it's unlikely we're going to have to... Uh, that we will have a, a full national lockdown again. Of course, it's possible if if the public health advice demands that. But I think what's more likely is that is that we will take decisions on a regional basis. Uh, if there are clusters developing in a certain area, we would try to respond in an intensive way in that area in terms of restrictions. But but first and foremost, the most important thing is that as clusters emerge and as positive tests happen. Um, We know where they happen. We know who they are, where they are, and we can contact trace quickly uh, to stamp out that particular cluster as fast as we can. That's why the the COVID tracker app, for example, is so important because it helps us to do that. Uh, And I would encourage anybody who hasn't downloaded the COVID tracker app on their mobile phone to do that because what it does do then, it is allow. it allows us to be able to send information out to people who have the app to let them know if they've been in close contact with someone who's tested positive and, and they otherwise mightn't know about it for a few days' time. Um, so we are improving all the time in terms of how we manage clusters, the response times, the test times, uh, the contact tracing uh, times. Everything is improving all the time. Uh, because we're getting ready, essentially, to try to stamp out clusters as they emerge. But look, the way in which this virus behaves is unpredictable. Um, I think the Irish public have done an incredible job at, uh, at suppressing the spread of the virus. What's your personal opinion on the, on the cheese sandwich statement from Michael Healy-Ray? 
On the which statement? <laughs> that, that the virus can distinguish whether you have a pint of Guinness in one hand okay. and a cheese sandwich in the other, it'll let you alone. Or if you have the pint of Guinness, it's going to get yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, you know, the Healy Rays have a good turn of phrase. <laughs> uh, we know that. Um, look, the point they were getting at there was, you know, should we be making a distinction in pubs that are serving food or bringing a pizza in from across the road from, from pubs that aren't doing that? Look, we all want to see pubs open again. Um, but the reason why we essentially paused uh, the progression to phase four was because the numbers are starting to creep up in Ireland again. Um, we needed to send out a clear message that this is not over. We need to be cautious. Um, and, um, you know, the reality is that people meeting socially in pubs and restaurants uh, and, um, you know, in gatherings, poses a serious risk Mm -hmm. Um, and so people do need to be cautious I know that's really tough on a lot of publicans across Cork City and County who want to get open again and allow their customers in and have invested in systems and precautions to keep them safe Uh, and hopefully on the 10th of of August we'll be able to get those uh, pubs open and back to one metre? consistent with the public health advice back to one metre? Well, look, I mean, that'll be something that we'll we'll take advice from uh, from Nefedon I think the biggest priority for us now in terms of thinking weeks ahead is to be in a position to be able to allow schools to go back as normal. Uh, that, that's the number one priority, I think, in the last week of August. Um, and an awful lot of the other things sort of work around that. The first priority, I think, is to protect vulnerable people, to stop the, pr- the spread of this disease, to stamp out infection and clusters when they emerge, uh, and also to try to rebuild an economy and get people back to work with the new realities that we have to live with, both in terms of international travel and, of course, the public health advice in terms of how we live and move around. Okay, I, I know and I've, I've, not, I've, I've kept you on longer than, 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 than you, you, know, you have time for, and I know you've got a busy schedule. Let me just give you one FYI. Uh, the caller just rang to say rank three insurance companies still cannot get travel insurance for the 15 uh, green-listed countries because of the overriding travel advisory. Just to make you aware of that one. Yeah, no, just, I mean, let me answer that very directly because insurance companies should not be saying that, okay? What we are, like, what we're saying is that, that the general message coming from government is that the safest thing to do for you and your family is to holiday at home and stay at home. But the official travel advice for the 15 countries on the so-called green list is very clear. It is take normal precautions. In other words, these countries aren't any, da- uh, aren't any more of a danger than Ireland. Um, and so from a, uh, from a travel insurance perspective, insurance companies should take their lead from the official travel advice on the Department of, uh, of Foreign Affairs website, which is being updated as we speak. Um, and that is where uh, travel insurance companies should be taking their lead from, uh, not from a general political ask, which is... Uh, stay at home because it's the safest thing okay. to do. Okay, a couple of final ones, Simon Coven. You've held uh, political remits, ministerial remits in uh, departments like um, trade, enterprise and employment, uh, agriculture, etc. You'll know, if anybody will know, that the importance of a full hotel and a full town, a full town of tourism, notwithstanding the restrictions, okay, is important to the greengrocer, the milkman and the butcher. And you'll also know that travel and tourism into this country when it can be fully accommodated again is essentially an export industry it brings in foreign capital why then is the government not giving the breaks needed right now i know there were some proposed in september to the hospitality industry by reducing the 13 and a half percent vat rate to five six or seven percent yeah look i mean the the truth is that we've lost um 
to the tourist sector this year uh, a, a value of, of about 5 billion euros of expenditure um, linked to international travel being restricted. Uh, and that's a huge number uh, for B&Bs, for hotels, for restaurants, for pubs, for clubs, cafes, retail outlets, and, and so on. Normally, we would see uh, County Cork towns and Cork City full of tourists at this time of year, uh, and that's not the case. Um, so tomorrow... Uh, the government will be signing off on a July stimulus package, uh, which will recognise the, the pressures that many businesses are facing right now. And we'll be responding to that uh, in a pretty significant way uh, in terms of financial supports uh, for, for sectors that are under pressure. Uh, and so you'll have to wait and see tomorrow okay. what we come out with on that. But I can assure you it's, um, you know, it's something that will involve spending a significant amount of public money to try to keep people in business. I've kept you longer than I should have. My apologies for that. Simon Coven, Minister for Foreign Affairs and Defence. Thank you very much for coming on with us Thanks, this morning. Mike, Thanks. Sure. All the best. Bye-bye. Talk to Neil Prinderville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. And a very good morning to you. This is Mick Mulcahy. It's 27, uh, 27 minutes to 12 midday now. Good morning to Joe. Hello. Hello, Mick. How's it going, Joe? I'm good and yourself. I'm good. Now, you've spent a lot of money on a holiday to Tenerife. I did indeed. I spent, um, shot my partner going out on Saturday and I spent 6,000 euro on the holiday. My God, where are you staying? Five star? Uh, uh, close enough to a chair, yeah. Okay, what part are you staying in? A place in Americas. Okay. And we go there every year, it's not twice a year. We how, do a cheap holiday and an expensive holiday. How many are going? Pardon? How many are going for six grand? Myself and my partner. That's it, wow. That's it. Okay, yeah, now, yeah. You, now you've got my curiosity. Tell me exactly what you're paying for here. Uh, it's, it's a five-star hotel, all-inclusive, and we upgraded to a thing called Privilege. We, um, we do it every year. We try to treat ourselves because she, she's walking on the front line. She's got a very stressful, very hard job, and um, I like to treat her every year. Okay. That's it. So if I cancel that holiday, I don't get a penny back. Okay. You know, so... Um, what I'm going to do, we go over there three days before we come home. We're going to pay for a COVID test over there, and we'll have the results in 72 hours. And if it's good enough for Michal Martin coming back from Brussels, it's good enough for me and my partner. Well, Michal Martin has just been declared now by Simon Coveney to be on the frontline essential list. So, yeah. you know, okay. But I take what you're saying. Well, he got, he, well, what... he, as far as I know, as far as I'm aware, he, when he came back from Brussels, he got a COVID-19 test, so he didn't have to isolate. Well, he got a COVID-19 test with an immediate result or a 10-minute turnaround well, result. Was, well, as, as the Taoiseach, I would yeah. presume it's a fairly immediate result for I him. I would yeah. say so, yeah. yeah. Okay. But yeah. what you're going to do is you're going to get the test, but that takes three days. What if you contract yeah. COVID in those three days? What if Michal Martin contacts the COVID virus after he comes back and he comes back as a negative, but then he has it afterwards? Yeah, okay. You know, so... That's, that's, that's fair enough. Okay, so you don't get your money back, so you're going to go, are you? Yes, we are indeed. It would be hard not to go. I have lots of friends who've flown out to the Canaries over the last week or two. Well, if you, if you, if you look at it, they put Spain on the red list, okay? So-called red list, not on the green list. The Canary Islands, as far as I can remember, has only 126 deaths. I know it's not only, but sorry, you know, it's, it's 126 deaths is what they have. Now, I've been through and it on the, the program this morning, and I, and I did try to hammer Simon Coveney on it. Uh, the Canaries are on the red list because of their political persuasion, their political oh, yeah. affiliation yeah, to Spain. Yeah. Ge geographically, I don't think anybody. I, I put the Canaries up there with New Zealand on how strict yeah. they lock down to protect yeah. what they have because they need tourists to come back. 
we were there in February, myself and my partner, Mick, just at the, the start of this, and they were locking the place down as we were in the airport. So okay. they, they did lock down. We didn't have a lockdown in Ireland. We had restrictions. We could go out and about. In Tenerife, I have a friend out there living there. One hour a day is all I could get out for exercise and shopping, and that was it in the story. So it's as safe a place as you can get. Right, okay. So if it's good so enough for me, Hall Martin, it's good enough for you. I didn't, yeah, I didn't hug my mother and father for months. I didn't hug my grandkids for months. Not many okay. people did. I, live, I, I obeyed by all the rules. And yet last week they're leaving people in from the worst hit states in America. And it, it, it does, and they're sending mixed messages with this green zone and you can't go and you can't go and do this. So I'm going, I paid a lot of money for my holiday. I'll take all precautions over there. The hotel was on to us, they told us all the precautions they're taking. And I'm 100% happy and satisfied with the precautions they put in place. Okay, what does six grand buy two people? Is it two weeks or three weeks? Two weeks. Two weeks, okay. Can you name the hotel or do you want to? I can. It's the H- H10 Conquistador in Clare Still Americas. Okay, I know it, yeah. And do you, you don't yeah. eat a meal out then, or do you go out for a meal and a pint or anything like oh, that? Oh, in that place, no. We never we never eat out for a meal since we started staying there. The food is absolutely fantastic. Okay. Fantastic. Enjoy so we it. Me, me. We do all inclusive in it, so, you know. When are you going? Saturday? Saturday, yeah. Would you mind if we gave you a shout next week just to see how things are like on the ground in Tenerife? She's not at all. No problem at all. Okay. Great stuff. Joe, thanks a million. Okay, mate. Thank you. All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, good morning, Eileen. Hi there. How are you? I'm good. Your two daughters arrived in from London yesterday morning. They actually arrived in, it's a double story here now, they arrived in from London last Thursday morning and their friends who they're quarantining with arrived in from New York, having come from LA the day before. So there's four of them quarantined, six of them now actually quarantining in one house in Cork City for two weeks. So when my two came in, they were with another two who were coming from London um, and they had the forms filled out. They printed them the night before. They were told they couldn't get to Cork Airport unless it was all done. So they absolutely had it done and ready. Got to Cork Airport at about 20 past nine in the morning and nobody there to take any forms, to question them, to ask them anything. They just walked right through passport control and out into the car. That's the second time we've heard that this morning. Well, it's just genomic. The American, the girl and her boyfriend who came in from the state, like these kids, to be fair to them, they are seriously quarantining for two weeks. They're doing everything they've been asked. But at the same time, the two coming in from the States haven't had one phone call in eight days. That's because they, they originated probably in America, but they came directly in from London. No, the other two came into Dublin. Oh, came into Dublin direct the from the States? Coming from the States. Okay, all right. Dublin, and they have not had one call since they got here. Okay. I suppose, you know, I fully, I'm so compliant to do whatever we're asked to do if the rules are the same for everybody. You know, and I do have an issue with the amount of people travelling from the UK and not quarantining. I don't care what anyone says, they're not, a lot of them. Uh, Some of them are, obviously, but a lot of them aren't. And we have people coming from all over Europe, actually, who aren't quarantining. And then the big question is, you know, Simon Coven said 2% of the people coming from the States compared to usual. 2% is too many. Yeah, and you you, you can see the frustration from people who want to go back to their local and have a cold, frothy one, thinking they're leaving people flying from hotspots from all over the world to wander around the country, and I can't go down and have a pint in the local. Well, I just feel who's protecting the Irish people and the Irish economy at the moment. If we're an island, it shouldn't be that hard. And yes, I know we have the political thing with the UK and we have to do that, but at least follow up on quarantining and make sure it's done, because none of that is happening. And then we could actually have everything open. We could have our schools ready to go in September. We could have no questions asked. The pubs open. I feel so sorry for that. The bars who were ready to go there and it was whipped from out from under them. How do you swallow that at the same pill when you hear 
eight Americans down outside the ice cream shop in Killarney last weekend who just swanned off the plane and here they are. Swanned off the plane. The we, we paid our dollars and we, we's gonna, <laughs> we're going to head out and do whatever we you want. Know, but, but I don't blame them. You know, I have a big issue with the way it's happening here. Like, we have a lot of advice and recommendation, but why can't we have any laws? Like, we're the same with the mask. Wear the mask. Don't wear the mask. From Monday, everyone is advised to wear a mask. It's still not law. Oh, it's you still, still not law. No, not. It's, it's, it's only a moral you know? obligation. So, uh, and the same with travel, the same with quarantine. If you read up on the quarantine list, um, as in the recommendation, you do two quarantine, it does actually say in there, you, if you have to go and do your essential shopping, then you can do that. Like, what's that about? I know, I understand. And people are, are, are rightly confused as well. I have a text here saying, is it true to get to some of these countries on the green list? You have to go through red list countries. Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of a joke. And it's non-essential <laughs> no, travel going through red list countries as well. And I do feel sorry for so many people who told this book. Like, we, we were lucky we could postpone ours a year, and that was, or a year that was grand. We'd be heading off to Clare and praying to God that we don't need the umbrella too much. But um, that was our choice because of the jobs we're in. It's just not an option for us to quarantine when we come home. But I think for a lot of people who have brains and intelligence, they do realise that certain countries have been amazingly good. And really, they probably are. Well, they are. Safe so there is here, seeing as here, we have... Everyone coming into our country. I saw a great comment on Facebook last night where a guy was refusing to wear a mask going into a shop uh, because it'll deprive my brain of oxygen. And somebody said, I think that ship has already sailed. <laughs> well, there's a, we're always going to get a few ridiculous arguments about everything. I, I think, unfortunately, it's kind of been left to our own devices a bit that if we feel we want to get this under control, yes, wear a mask. But Eileen. our government have to step up and make a few laws. Thanks a million for your call. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye. Uh, bye-bye. Let's go to uh, line one and to Mick. Hiya, Mick. Hello, Mick. How's it going? Good and yourself? That sounds like Mick Frick. It is. It's just Frick. Uh, I'm getting good. Back. I'm getting good. You are getting good, yeah. <laughs> so no one calls me Mick. Funny, Brenda. Uh, oh, that's all, yeah. Come here, Brenda. Do you know Brenda's you know Brenda learning Spanish? She's getting a couple of focal now in Spanish, she is. She? she was talking this morning about Las Palabras de Amor, the words of love. I think there might be something going on. <laughs> Come here, I make noise this time COVID, but I think, that, as I said, it's half-assed things. Like, you know what I mean? That woman was on the other side, the same as you with the local pubs. You want to say that they should go back to something if I'm going from county to county. Like, if they, if that's the case, like, why don't they open the local bars? Like, if they want to keep things localised, like, yeah, I guess you'd have to to keep things local. Uh, yeah. you know, and everybody will champion the bars. And maybe I've been, you know, a little too much on the side of the bars, not yeah, enough on the side yeah. of, of other businesses that are still under restriction. Um, but it seems to me farcical that bars can't open at this stage and not yeah, and, and, and adhere to very strict two meter two meter guidelines. They'd prefer one meter. Hopefully, yeah. they'll they'll get to go ahead on the tenth uh, so that we can return to normal. When they walk in the hotel, they shut it on the bell. But, like, as regards travel, it's crazy. Like, with that lady saying, yeah, like, they're still coming in. Like, and, like they can come into the country, and we're being told you might be able to go up from Cork to Kerry. So, when, when you travel to Monaco this year, Mick, will you go on your yacht or will you fly into Nice and take yeah, the train along the Riviera? Yeah, I'd say I'd probably go on the yacht, Mick. I'd, say, <laughs> I'd probably go to Monkstone. <laughs> I'd say from the pantoon of months so now, oh no we were home and in patches no, I'd say well Mick to be honest I don't fly my boat we can't even the first time I went to go on the cruise we can't even go on that now I'm sure James O'Brien would be delighted to hear you call his wonderful facility a pontoon it's Cork Harbour Marina and it's a wonderful Cork facility Marina, sorry. Oh, thanks yeah, a million Mick thanks all, right, uh, all the best so bye bye let's go to Joe on line 4 hi Joe hello 
Joe, hello, Joe, you might, you might turn down your radio or you get all confused. Oh, yeah, okay, yes. Just one moment. Thanks a million. Okay. You can call the programme 1850 or text us on 0868104106. Neil at redfm.ie. Radio on in the background will certainly confuse you. Joe, are you there now? I am, yes. Okay, you're not impressed with the type of language Simon was using with the healthcare workers? No, no, I don't think, uh, I don't believe that he was targeting it as a healthcare workers. Maybe that's a misinterpretation of my, mm. what I said with the man who I spoke to before you, is that uh, I was just listening to the, what he was saying. And uh, the language he used. Which language okay, in particular? In particular, for example, that a, uh, if we go back to the, you're talking about that uh, statistics, right? There's much statistics about this, that, and the whole lot, right? And they say, look, the amount of healthcare workers that have been tested positive is way up. And the thing about it is, no wonder they're way up. Sure, there's, it's like Donald Trump would say, the more people you test, the more people you're going to find. So that result is skewed. Right. If you tested 100 people in the general population, or you test 100 healthcare workers, mm-hmm. of course you can. Go. So it's skewed. Anyway, that's the first point. And uh, then that uh, people weren't declaring that they were feeling unwell because they would lose their premium or their this or that or whatnot, which is very significant. I'm not trying to diminish that in, what I, in, in, any, in any way. Right. So they're they're not being as we're morally or socially responsible to say that, look, I'm not feeling well, maybe I do have it, maybe I should go and isolate for 14 days, whatever it is. So because of economic or whatever pressures they say... What, I need what, what, what issue did you have with Simon Coveney? He said we need to stamp this out. In what stamp context? That's what he said. He said we have to stamp out this. Right, we have to stamp out this illness. So, for example, if I, which I am, if I'm a labourer on a building site, and we saw a building site closed down with 280 people up 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 the country, and uh, if I go into work and I'm feeling not well, and I'm employed by an agency, right, I am there for a day, I get paid for a day. If I'm not there that day, I don't get paid for that day. I don't have any annual anything. Mm-hmm on whatever, and if I go in and if I'm feeling not well and I'm there on a Tuesday morning And, and you I don't declare, you, you, you go to work And I don't declare and I go to work Sure, if I declare I have 14 days Well you can't have any, any work and can't get any money I understand no, 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 no. And the agency I'm, if I go from being in the top 20 of their list I go to the minus don't even never ring that fucking Don't ring that guy again, again, again. Okay, okay. Mind the language no, now. No. Um, okay, look, I think what we're moving from, as much as we were moving two months ago into almost an inevitable period of wearing masks in a big way, I think in the next two months, we are inevitably moving into an area where massive personal responsibility is going to have to be on our own personal shoulders. But thanks for the call. Pre- appreciate it this morning. Got to go and take a break. Thanks a million. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. And a very good morning to you. This is Mick Mulcahy on the Neil Prendival Show. We have a caller to the programme that wouldn't come on air very, very unimpressed. At Joe's wife, we spoke to Joe earlier. He's heading off to Tenerife 
on a very expensive holiday, €6,000 for two weeks. He's heading off with his wife and he mentioned that his wife was on the front line and he didn't want to cancel the holiday because his wife needs the break. She's had a very stressful attendance, apparently, uh, on the front line and trying to save people's wives. Uh, lives, I beg your pardon, not, li- not wives, lives. And our caller asked, what kind of example is that to be giving? Well, Brenda's going, ha, 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 I'll ha, 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 you in a second. Um, what kind of example is that to be giving? Well, why shouldn't his wife, not like anybody else who's gone to the Canaries, who maybe not on the front line, have the right to go to the, to, uh, the Canaries or go on any holiday that she wishes? Um, personal responsibility is once again the thing. I know that the Canaries is not green listed, uh, but it is geographically separate from Spain. And uh, he did say he's going to be taking the uh, COVID test before they return. So why wouldn't she have the right to go. Other people have the right to go who aren't frontline workers. And don't hasn't she earned a right for some time off? It's just a rhetorical question back to you. But we've had a caller who's unimpressed that Joe's wife who spoke, uh, Joe we spoke to, is heading off to Tenerife with his wife who's taking a break from four or five months constant work on the front line and asking what kind of example is that to be given. Now to a different topic and to Miles Gaffney on line six. Good morning, Miles. How are you, Mick? Very good. Great to talk to you again, kid. Yeah, we are getting we're creating the first band of being you. <laughs> now, a Cork charity is inviting the public to make some noise for positive mental health and recognition of those affected by the pandemic. The director of suicide awareness and prevention charity Shine a Light, Joe Dalton, was in the paper there recently and became involved with the organisation after losing his brother, cousins, and friends to a mental health through mental health issues, and is inviting Cork people to come together on Friday, July 24th at 7pm and make noise for the people who just want to be heard. As a professional noisemaker, Miles, tell us all about it. Well, the background of the story is that um, I work from Post, you know, and um, I was on the route down in Popsky, and I went into the Mayor Cafe of Popsky, and suicide this time last year, especially on the north side, We've gone through the roof, and uh, myself and Liam, the proprietor, we just started, when well, I went in with the course, we started talking about it, saying this was awful, and um, he said to me, why didn't you come down to the cafe here and play a couple of songs in the corner on Saturday, and we get a little bucket. And I was saying, yeah, no problem. So I put it up on uh, social networking that I was going to do a small little gig in the Meyer Cafe, and, um, and so we went to um, get it all up and running. And before we knew it, we were playing the sold out show in the fucking crane. There was such a response. I think there was 45,000 people responding to the social networking uh, ad. 45,000, um, wow. It was, it was all because, um, it was because um, I used to see this girl in my area, you know. Uh, I knew she wasn't from the north side. I knew she was from Nottingham because I know an awful lot of people up here. I remember saying it to my wife, you know, do you know that girl? And she was saying, yeah, I see her around at the school and stuff. And my wife said to me, you know, she's not from around here. And um, What I really like, Miles, about this is, is that the Make Some Noise for Positive Mental Health has one aim, and that is to signpost people towards the services and supports yeah. that are available and to get them to reach out for the help that's there. Yeah, that, that was the whole point of it because I, I had made a plan to say hello to this girl because she looked kind of down and, and I said I'm going to say hello to her and that was on a Thursday and on the Monday she had taken her own life and um, I was going mad over her and that's why we decided to go ahead and do something and this is the outcome now, you know, second year running and um, we're going live on Friday night and it's just, again, it's just about making noise, tell people come forward that, that there's help there. Okay, so, so the gang is trying to life and 
Endorsing or performing and or uh, yourself and other musicians such as The Lost Gecko and Dots Tobin performing live from the Mayo Cafe. That's uh, on the night. John Spillane, of course, is endorsing as well. And there are others as well that are doing their bit. Ger Wolf, Gary Spichel Sullivan, Cork City Football Club, to name just a few. So it's happening at 7.45 on the night. uh, Or sorry, at 7.45 on the night. For two minutes, they're asking people all over Cork, Ireland and the wider community on social media to take some time to make some noise for positive mental health. At 7.45. 7.45. do that at 7.45. And, uh, you know, again, we just want to thank uh, the lads from Unity uh, Media Networks. Um, for the, we rang them and we asked them to live stream it because that would be out of my league. When, when you say make some noise now, you can make some noise online by posting, I suppose, but you can make some yeah, physical yeah. noise as well by banging a drum or a tin can or a bottle or something. Yeah, play a song outside your front door, get the kids and do anything. Just make a bit of noise, play a few songs and maybe record yourself doing it a quality. And get that um, on social media to get the wider message yeah, out there. And, yeah, and we, we've spread this all over the country, you know. We, we, we all know people. I was on to people in, in Armagh. I was on to people in Dublin. Uh, I was on to people in Belfast to try and get them to, to tune in and for them to make noise in their areas and, and let people know just to create it, not, not a north side awareness, not a south side or a cock one, a national one, you know, a national makes some noise. Fantastic initiative, a great idea, all happening on the 24th of July, which is this Friday. It's going to be streamed live on your Facebook page on the night, uh, which is Make Some Noise Cork. Make Some Noise yeah, Cork. Well, be on Shine a Light page, there's the main page anyway. Shine a Light as well, of course, yeah. I, mean, I started with that, so we'll finish with it. So the Shine a Light page, Facebook page, will have it as well, because mental health That's is a huge crazy. problem, and increasing, of course, at a rapid rate across the globe. Uh, COVID-19 has exasperated this in a multitude of ways. Thanks very, very much, Ma- yeah. Miles, and we wish you all the very best with the initiative. Thank you. Thanks God very much. Thank bye-bye. You. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can call 1850-104-106. Our phone lines remain open for about 30 minutes. You can text 0868-104-106 or email neil at redfm.ie. My thanks to the programme producers today, our Spanish student, Brenda Sita Denahita, and, of course, we have Seamus Whelan and Mark Willington ably assisting. This is Mick Mulcahy. That's Wednesday's Neil Prendival Show. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.